They'll send the puck across. Teravainen out for Aho. They score! On the power play in overtime. It's Sebastian Aho. And the Canes are on the board in the series. Hands to Marchand Farser. Shoots. He scores! Brad Marchand with a dart that goes top shelf by Varlamov. And he shocks the crowd here at the Coliseum. Bruins win a 2-1 in overtime. And the Phoenix Suns have gone on the road after missing the playoffs for 11 consecutive years and beaten the defending champion on their home court in the first round. No, I think I'm going to play for the Toon Squad this summer instead of the Olympics. And I think that's what I'm gonna, that's my focus on, on trying to beat the Monstars or the Goon Squad, we call them now. Thinking to hand out Olympic golds in Space Jam 2 or what? Sure. Let's do it. Is there even going to be an Olympics? Like, what's like? I I keep everything I keep seeing and reading is like they don't want it. Well, they don't want it, but I think they're going to get it. Yeah. I don't know. I like. It's kind of crazy that your own country you don't have a a say in if the Olympics actually happen in your country. I don't know. I find that kind of like. Imagine if the Olympics were in Vancouver, Toronto. And we had a pandemic going on. Like, would you think of the Olympics would happen in Canada right now? Like, do you think the IOC came in and said, we don't care what kind of shutdowns you have. We don't care that your golf courses aren't open. Where the Olympics are happening. I don't, I don't think that the IOC would come in and say, we don't care about all of your rules. I think that there would be a lot of conversations behind the scenes with the IOC heavily leaning on the federal government and there would be a lot of reminders that there is a lot of broadcasting television money <laughs> right yeah. at play here this isn't this isn't about you know i always think with with all-star games in sports or olympics on a much broader stage it's it's packaged around the athletes and their accomplishments and that is deservedly so but a lot of that is for show it is sold also as a an opportunity for people who live in that city if they're hosting an all-star weekend or a country if they're hosting an olympics like that this is an opportunity for you to come out and see some of the world's greatest athletes the the, the athletes are the greatest in their in their particular sport that is also true but oftentimes what it is all about is revenue money Right? Well, and this is a huge, huge global event where billions of dollars are on the line. Well, here's another problem. It's one thing for it's one thing for Japan to come up and say, Well, we have questions about the Olympics. And the IOC is saying, Well, we'll answer your questions as the Olympics are going on or as we're getting ready. It's another thing to have ten thousand volunteers drop out with fifty days before the Olympics, wow. which has happened in, in Tokyo, right? Like if they have no one to run them, how are they going to put them on? Like, is the IOC going to bring in 20,000 people from other parts of the world? I, I mean, I just, I, I don't understand how you don't have a relationship with a country or city that's putting it on and saying, Hey, we need to work together to make this happen. And we will do anything to make sure that both sides are okay with the setup, 
what the safety of the citizens, what the athletes. I'm just I, I obviously I want the Olympics. We've <laughs> we've been talking about it now for how many years, right? And obviously last year gets canceled. But if they don't have the volunteers and the infrastructure, and they don't have the organizers all on the same page. I don't understand how they're going to make it happen. And 10,000 employees walking off, like apparently there's 80,000 unpaid employee uh, volunteers that are going to be working the Olympics and, and Paralympics. So like I said, I hope it happens, but if that country isn't ready, I just, I can't, I couldn't see it happening in Canada. Like if it in 50 days, could you see the Olympics in Canada? I, I couldn't. Well, no, uh, I mean, but uh, then again, at the same time, I mean, that's a hypothetical that's, that we don't have to deal with. I mean, I would imagine that a lot of the infrastructure would have been in place. I would like to believe that if a bunch of athletes were coming from all over the world, there'd be a strict quarantine and, and testing and, and all of that. But that, that's just huge, huge infrastructure that goes into this. It's really complicated, but there's so much money on the line. I, I'm going to plow ahead with this. The only way, Ziggy, it stops is is with what you pointed out, is that if 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 the people who are doing the low-paid work or volunteering just all step up collectively and say, we ain't going to do this. That's the only way it gets undermanned. Only way it gets yeah. undermanned. Otherwise, they're going to go ahead with it. And, I mean, if, if you're NBC down in the United States, you're the biggest broadcasting partner, you've lined up a lot of your August coverage around this you've lined up a lot of your prime time a lot of your daytime slots all of it it's it's you know but you gotta be yeah we I mean, talk about wonder, priorities but it's it's how it is but you gotta wonder how bad is it there when they spent the money they spent last year to get ready for it and then apparently they've spent over 15 billion dollars to get it going this year um and that's and then ioc's contributing another billion like how much money are these cities and countries making when you're putting in $15 billion to host a sporting event? So I, I, uh, I, and they want something, right? Like I have a feeling that the IOC would push Japan to put something on. Like, do you think maybe there could be like, uh, you know, maybe a, some kind of condensed schedule? Like say they, it, it, there is serious threat that it might not happen. I wonder if they put some kind of, Olympics on that maybe they they don't you know have the full schedule that they had slated for for this year if they don't have the if they don't have the people they're going to put them on like that, that's kind of the next situation I see right. happening if 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 they don't uh, if they don't want to put it on well, it's an attempt at compromise I mean I guess that's what they're gonna they're gonna have to do um, but as far as we know and the health experts in Japan have been pushing back on this the, I mean there have been members of the Japanese government who've said look this shouldn't be happening, but money's going to talk at the end of the day. And as far as we know, these things are, these, these games are going to happen. The Olympic games will, will happen. Mark Shifley gets four games. So this is the first time I can remember in my life following hockey where whatever it's been called right now, it's called the NHL department of player safety has made two consecutive rulings on the most consequential hits that have come up where I've gone, holy crap, you went overboard 
and 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 not in a bad way, but you you erred on the side of caution. You erred on the side of giving more games instead of less games. Obviously, I'm talking about Nazem Kadri on Justin Falk, and now I'm talking about Mark Shifley on Jake Evans. So Shifley can't come back to the Jets-Canadian series unless there's a game six. And what I'm wondering, Ziggy, is is this the new tone or is this the reaction, the pendulum swinging the other way in the aftermath of the wrath the league, the Department of Player Safety received for the whole Tom Wilson, New York Rangers situation toward the end of the regular season. Is this an all a reaction to that? Yeah, well, you got to understand how the league looks at each situation different and they look at a player's history. Is he a repeat offender? So all that's, we all know how that all happens, right? They want the game to change, but they don't want hitting out of it, right? So I think they're going to go after they're going to go after plays and hits that look bad. Like what part of the rules was Shafley breaking in the hit? Was it the charge? Um I don't know. How, he's skating down the ice to a player with a puck going for an empty net. Um so I don't know from the rule book from the rule book what you're going to say about Shifley breaking the rules with the hit. I just, I don't see it. Was there an elbow to the head? Like, was there head contact? Yes. Did he mean to elbow him the head? I don't think so. I don't think there was intent. I don't think Shifley wanted to hurt hurt him. Like I said yesterday, I think he wanted to put a lick on him. It was a guy that was going to get an empty net. It was a chance to stop him. And I, I just, I, I told you, there's three options for in that play. One, do what he did. Two, try to stick check him. Or three, do nothing. So, I don't know, like everybody was so upset, like just going over Twitter yesterday and people messaging me, a lot think those hits are wrong and I agree. Like I can look on both, I can take this situation from both sides and and that's fine, right? Like it's okay to think that the hit was wrong, you want it out, you want them suspended, but at the same time, you don't think you don't think he did anything wrong. Do you know what I mean? Okay, like, so so but let me let me stop you there with this question. If Jake Evans gets hit just as he's starting to tuck the puck toward the net and it goes horizontal through the crease or however it goes it doesn't end up in the net. Mark Shifley actually prevents a goal. Yeah. Do you think Mark Shifley is out? through to the end of game five? Or do you think that this ruling, regardless of whether the puck goes into the net or not, is completely dependent on the fact that Jake Evans is lying on the ice pretty much unconscious? Yeah. I think it. if he stops the goal, like say the puck doesn't go in, I think it's... I, I don't think there's any game. Like that's the, that's the crazy part about it. Like do you think it was a late hit? Like if you freeze frame it and slow it down, it looks terrible. No, but it wasn't but late. You but it, was real, a, it was a charge, though. From, so if it wasn't late, if it wasn't late, then no, there should there should be no difference. But optically, yes, he wouldn't have gotten four games or three games, maybe a game. I also think if Evans gets up in this same situation, line put everything back the way it was. Jake Evans gets up. I don't think there's a suspension. I think it's the optics on on how bad on how it looks 
when you slow it down, does the elbow catch the head? Like, I think if he just hits him and it, and Evans gets up, there's no, there's no suspension. I, I really do think that. And so then we're getting the, we go in the conversation wall. So what now we're going to look at hits and, and elbows and plays and depending on the length or if a player gets hurt as a result from the hit. Well, if we're going to do that, I have had concussion problems for issues for the last eight years. So what are we going to do? Like if a guy's out for the year, like, are you going to suspend a guy for the time the guy's been out for? Like, I I just, I just don't know. I, and I'm not saying that that shouldn't be part of the process and how you want to really evaluate these hits and you want to determine like how bad were they like you want to bring that into it and how bad a player gets hurt i'm all for that like i'm okay with that like say you hit someone bad and they're out for three weeks and all of a sudden you have a one game suspension where that player that you just hit is out for three weeks do you want that to be one of the factors i'm okay with that but that's going to be a really tricky situation, right? Has the guy, does he have in, a history of injury in the area that got hurt, injured? Like I just, that's very, it complicates things, right? So I really don't know. I, I really think if Evans gets up, there's nothing. It's a big hit. He tried to stop him and nothing comes of it. The fact that he was injured and it looked awful. Like it, it, it's, those are the hits we don't want in the game. Like I'm okay sitting here saying, I don't want those hits in the game. But what's like? What do you expect Mark Shifley well, to do? If like, you want to peel off, fine, peel off. Like I, I, like it's also the playoffs. It's a, it's a. Yeah, okay. It becomes but, a lot but tougher. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back to the NFL, and and use the example that we talked a little bit about yesterday. Those violent, violent AFC North games between Pittsburgh and Cincinnati in the middle of the last decade, where Antonio Brown got blown up a couple of times, cutting across the field, and was clearly badly concussed. Vontez Burfik, the former Bengals linebacker, doing crazy things on the field every time Cincinnati would play Pittsburgh, like truly trying to injure and maim guys. That's not what's happening here. But I'm talking, Ziggy, about the notion of the league pivoting and putting something more clearly into the rule book that defines defenseless puck carrier. I don't know mm-hmm. how else you'd put it. Defenseless receiver, right? You, uh, a safety cannot blow up a receiver cutting across the field anymore who goes up to make a catch. He can't lead with his helmet, the crown of his helmet. Even if the contact isn't helmet to helmet, he can't lead with his helmet. He's, he's got to let the guy come down with the ball, take a couple of steps, and then attempt as best he can a wrap tackle, or if he's going to lean into the guy and try to knock him back, you got to go shoulder first. And I'm wondering if the NHL is now at a point where they've got to be more specific about a defenseless puck carrier. And I'm all for that. Bring in another rule where if the guy is in a vulnerable position, you can't hit him at all. Like bring it in. Like I'm fine with that. But as the rules sit right now, there's like, that's what's confusing to me. As the as the, if you want to follow the rule book, yeah, change it then. I'm all for that. I also think those hits where you the the dangerous hits for me, like if you're Evans in that, like I'm not saying Evans did anything wrong last uh, a couple nights ago, but you have to know you're gonna get absolutely 
run over in that situation. And I'm not saying that as someone who who played minor bantam when I was 12 years old. Like I'm telling you, from an NA, I've been in NHL games and AHL games. I play in the Swedish Elite League. If I was doing that in the Swedish Elite League, I know I'm going to get crunched in that situation. And I'm not saying it's Evan's fault for getting hit like that, but you have to know that a guy, someone's going to come down. You're up by a goal. You're going to try to put an empty net in coming around the net. I'm just like, I, I, I'm, it's, I'm not blaming Evans, but you have to know you're going to get hit in that situation. And I feel bad for him and his family because I've been hit like that before. But if you want to change the rules, yes. The dangerous ones for me and the league has to try to get rid of them. And I don't even know how you do this, but it's when you're battling with a player and somebody else joins the battle. Mm. So like, say you're going... I mean, a big one is like going wide on a defenseman and you're going around the net and somebody comes down on the other side or like say you're in the offensive zone. Usually it's the weak side winger that comes down and sprints towards the goal line. And I've had that happen. Like I can remember Doug Waite. Like he hit me so hard in my third or fourth year in the NHL. I was like, I was battling one-on-one with a defenseman. I, I, I think I was in, in St. Louis and I'm, you know, kind of like protecting the puck, protecting the puck. And I had it for a while. And all of a sudden, I'm like flat on my back. I watched, obviously, you watch all your shifts after the game and the next day. And he actually came down from the point. He was playing wing on the shift. And he hit me, but he he raced from the blue line down to the goal line. And it's not, a, it wasn't a penalty because it's, how often are they going to call a charge in that situation? They're not. But that was one of the, that was one of the plays where, yeah, you want those out of the game, but I never did that again. I, I I never I never hung on to the puck that long without making sure I knew where everyone was. I was just c- so concerned about the guy I was trying to go against, the one-on-one battle I had. But those are the plays. And I hear people talking, and I uh, talking about Rafi Torres and all the hits he would make coming down from the weak side winger. Like I, it's not Rafi Torres. There's dozens of players that I played against that would try to look for those hits. How many hits do we see? And just blaming like Ta- Rafi Torres or, or centering him out when you're trying to explain the, Shif- the Shifley hit or, you know, hits that come down, like when you want to explain a charge, like I, I think that's unfair towards Rafi and I've known him a long time. And obviously, you know, when we're trying to look at hits in the history and obviously we have to look at all of them, right? But I just, if the league wants to take them out, yeah, they need to make more rules. I think they have to know. I, the video is the best way to explain to the players what should be allowed and what shouldn't. And they need more video and more hits from prior situations that players need to see so they can determine what should be allowed and what shouldn't. Like, now that that Shifley hit got got four games, like, yeah, the Kadri eight games, I'm okay. That's fine now. Like it's as long as players know. I just I, I don't think Shifley in that hit two days ago, like I don't think he was trying to knock Evans out. Like I think he was probably the most surprised guy on the ice. And like I said, if Evans gets up, there's none of it. It's a big hit and he doesn't get suspended. So then so then what are you saying? Like, do you think Shifley gets four games if Evans gets up and no, it's but, nothing? No, probably not. Um and and whether he gets a game or two would be up for debate. But Ziggy, you understand this, especially in 2021, the optics of it are bad. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the guy is lying face down on the ice and he's he's not moving. Now, is that 
part of the game. Yeah, stuff is going to happen sometimes. I, I don't think there's anybody out there who thinks that we're going to get to a 100% solution so that nobody ever gets hurt in a hockey game again. And nobody's talking about taking the physicality out or the battles along the boards. But you want to limit as best you can these terrible scenes. The Justin Falks of the world. Uh, we had a long talk, and you had a, a, a different opinion on the Corey Perry-John Tavares situation in game one of the Leafs halves and this Jake Evans situation. I mean, that... That is a lot of footage. Well, did in, you hear the did you hear the Winnipeg Jets players? Or um, did you hear the uh, uh, the Winnipeg Jets players about who are they talking about to Perry? Because Perry was mad, and they're saying, "Hey, you knocked out John Tavares." Like, uh, yeah, I'm not the only one with that opinion. Like now, look at no, but you were the, the first players, one look I at heard the, to express look, it. Yeah, but look at the players in the game, even the guys on the ice that are in the fight. Not analysts like me, not former players, not hockey specialists. Like, those are players that are in the fight every day, and they were on Perry for taking out Tavares. Like, there you go. Like, it's just... And I'm not saying Perry tried to knock out Tavares and do and, and end his season, but the players on the ice, they know more than than any of us. They know what's happening, and they were giving it to Perry for knocking out Tavares. So I just think that the hits have to, like, these have to stop. However way the NHL can do it, they have, they're, it's slowly coming out of the game. Like, it's a different game now than when I started. Like, I played my first pro game almost 20 years ago. Well, I think, I think it's a different game now than it was 10 years ago. Oh, yeah, five years ago. Like, yeah. it's, it's, cha- it's changing. It is changing, and it... I, it, from my first year playing pro hockey, first year in the NHL, my first game was in 2003, but AHL, I played it at, in 01. Man, it was, a, it was a, like, I'm thinking back to my time. It was a scary time. Like I started in the NHL with no visor and no mouth guard because hmm. it was just a tough <laughs> league. And like, I had the visor and like a double mouth guard in like 50 games. And I was like, this is pretty, this, like is, not ever, this is not, this is not the OHL. It's so weird. Cause <laughs> you know, our, our parents grew up in a time where nobody wore helmets or, or they were just coming in. Like if you go back, sometimes Leafs nation network has an old Leafs game on from the, the early nineties, right? It's like, go, go remember the great games and those playoffs against the wings, blues or Kings like Wayne Gretzky. And he wasn't the only one. Wayne Gretzky wore a piece of paper on his head. Those old Jofa helmets, right? With almost no padding. Like that, that's, that was, that was a showpiece. That, that wasn't an actual helmet that could protect you. And you remember Michelle Goulet took that terrible mm-hmm. hit that ended his career. Yeah. He got hit about seven or eight feet from the boards. He went flying in, smacked his head. He was wearing one of those paper Jofa helmets got so badly concussed that that his career came to an end on that play. Like, it's impossible to think that in this day and age, anybody would ever even consider, let alone the mandates and the rules, but that if you had choices, that anybody would even consider wearing equipment like that now. Just with the mm-hmm. speed, and I think players are more responsible now, generally speaking, than they used to be. Um, and I don't think the game has ever been more skilled. I don't think it's been er- ever been faster. I also don't think it's ever been more coached or overcoached. 
but it's it's crazy some of the leaps it's taken in the last 25 years or so. And crazy. I think yeah, and the Evans injury, he's like he's done for the playoffs. Um I would hope just for his own safe his own safety, his own health. I think that's a massive loss for the Canadians. Like that's when he came into the series and him and that Gallagher and Deneau line, they're so effective, like creating chances can shut down just a reliable line for Ducharme. And I, I think it's a, I think it's a massive loss for the Canadians. Like if you had to talk about Toffoli going down or Suzuki or coffee, like you throw Jake Evans in that conversation. Cause I think once he was put in the lineup and he was put with that line, they became a really good, like it changed the dynamic of their team. Mm. So I think it's a tough, I think it's a tough loss to the Canadians. Um, obviously following that, that series really closely. And I, I don't know. I don't even know who they'd have to fill in. Like that's, it's a, it's a tough, that's a tough break for, for the Habs going forward. Well, the Habs and Jets will play game two tonight in Winnipeg and the Jets need a win in order to avoid going to Montreal down two. the Phoenix Suns. Eliminate the L.A. Lakers. We'll have a, a chat about LeBron who, well, he ain't going to the Olympics, so he doesn't care if they're on or not. But the Lakers are out. LeBron is out for the first time in his career in the first round of the playoffs. He's missed a couple of times, but any time he'd ever made the playoffs, which was 14 previous times in his career. Yeah, 14 and one now, yeah. They'd gotten past well, I, the first I, I, round. So he's not made the playoffs. Was it? I thought it was once he hasn't made the playoffs. His rookie season. Well, one, uh, they, they missed with the he missed with the Lakers two years ago. Oh, that's right. right. Yeah, he was wasn't he injured or he was out of the lineup or something? Well, like, it he was didn't play and, right, and it was him and every scrub known to man on that Lakers okay. team, right? Because Kobe yeah. had retired a few years prior, and they were really in the depths of it. So they were they were building ah, back up. Okay. So yeah, his rookie year in Cleveland and then his first year with the Lakers. And then of course the second year with the Lakers, they win a title. So you can expect you can expect LeBron to have a bounce back next year. And I really want to be careful about this because Tom Brady has proven us wrong so often. But LeBron James is now into his late thirties. Like this guy is not a kid anymore. And he has played consistently into May and June most of the years of his career. He's also been the front runner uh, for the United States in, in international events. Like, he has played a ton of basketball. You know that narrative, Ziggy, is coming up over the next few years. Every time LeBron loses a big game or every time he loses a series, is he done? He's about to take over for Tom Brady in the is he done conversation. Although I think the answer right now is still very much a firm no. Uh, ben Nicholson-Smith coming up in about an hour. Elliot Friedman for his weekly Friday hit. We'll get uh, back into the week that was for the Maple Leafs, the end-of-season press conferences. Uh, big win last night for Carolina in overtime. Saved their chances in that series against Tampa Bay. We'll touch on that. And up next, Gord Stellick, the co-host of Leafs Nation pre and post. We put a bow on the week that was ugh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Then maybe go to goal golfing.
Got to be honest, I didn't think we'd be we'd be doing a season wrap with Gord Stellick on Friday when we came in on Monday. Got to be Crazy. honest. Well, some golf's been played. Whatever else has happened, I hope hasn't found its way to social media. Some people tend to care about that stuff. Man, like what do you like if you're I, Mitch Marner and you're from here, do you not just have to like do you not just jump on a plane and leave town? Like that's you want to know how hard it is to play here? Mitch Marner has to leave town. Like people always wonder, oh, playing your hometown must be great. Like Mitch Marner literally has to leave town. I agree. And I know and, and, and I know players, I know players and good players, not fourth liners like myself, like legit real players that they were from Toronto and and didn't never want they they didn't want to sign here because it was just too hard. Cause they just knew their their summers would be like you get stopped everywhere, like good or bad. They just didn't they couldn't deal with it. You literally like I, I know a guy that I know a guy that scored 40 goals in a small market team. Then he came to Toronto and I think he had 20 one year and he said his life was a hundred times crazier. Couldn't go out to eat. Couldn't walk down a street. That was with 20 goals in Toronto versus 40 in a small market. I, team. I, I, like, now I want to guess the name. <laughs> it could honestly, it could be a dozen guys, <laughs> but I'm just letting you know. Well, like silent, no, but silent Vic got my ear and said the same name that I was thinking. Yeah. Well, does I'm not going to say does his name rhyme with basin Jlake. <laughs> I'm not going to say You're who going to say, I'm just going to say, cause I don't want to, cause he didn't want to play in Toronto. That's why I didn't want to, I don't want to well, say his name, but yeah, he, well, he, Jason just, Blake did sign here by choice. So yeah. it, it, maybe it isn't him, but. Well, there's a dozen names you could probably throw right. out there, but it's, it's, it's that tough. And I don't mean in a bad way, like even in a good way, like imagine if things were good, you literally can't go out. Like you can't walk down the street. It's just, uh, it's a great, I think, I think Toronto is a great spot to play. Like I wish it wasn't towards the end of my career. And I, I was only, here but a if you just, the if minors. you just want to go down the street and get a burrito, like you think are, Mitch Marner, you think Mitch Marner right now can go to burrito boys? No, and wheel in and, or, and order a tofu bean guacamole burrito. Well, I, I, if I were Mitch Marner, if I were Mitch Marner, I'd be worried about going anywhere and not having my food spat in. Because you never know. <laughs> Some people are crazy. Some people are nuts. Think, do you think it's to the point now where people are upset at him? Like they don't want to go. They don't want to wear the clothes he wears and eat at the oh. places he goes. Because we no, we were talking about this last night. A couple of my buddies. We're like, do you think it's so bad for him right now where people don't want to be associated with him? And I, it, we pose the question. I, I don't know. Like, what do you, I, I just think there's emotions in the moment and it carries over for a few days or maybe a week or two. And then we're just right back into the cycle, right? Of I feel, yeah. And I feel like we're entering like, I, th I feel like we've entered like with Marner and them losing in seven again. I feel like we're entering. And you can fill in the blanks here on on what team and what club, but like I feel like we were entering like the soccer territory with there's some resentment. Yeah, do you know what I'm I mean? Saying, like soccer saying. teams and countries. Like if you're a player that makes a mistake and your team gets scored against, like Oof. people yeah. go after you and your like it's pretty serious in different countries, well, right? In different clubs. Let's get Gord Stellick into the conversation here, and and I'll take what Ziggy said, Gord, and and into a bit of a different direction in terms of, well, this team is still young and I think there's some disdain 
I think there's some resentment uh, among the fan base, and, and rightfully so in the fact that they lost the series. But when we talk about this team being young, the major red flag that I have is that you could sit there and say, if you're Ken Holland and the Edmonton Oilers, we got six years of Connor McDavid's contract left to figure this out. Like, if, if, if we can chart out a path where we're a legitimate contender within a couple of years, we got like a half decade of Connor McDavid to try to make that work. And if we're really good, he might want to resign on his second major contract. Here with the Maple Leafs, they got a time crunch. They got three years guaranteed left of Matthews and Nylander, four years guaranteed left of Marner and Tavares, and there's no promise that any of them will be here at the end of their contracts. You brought up, like, the best point, okay? And uh, first of all, good morning, guys. And, And the other part is, one thing, first of all, like, let's not use the lowest form of social media as what is the real state of reality here people are upset and pissed off at the team it was it, 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 it was it was unwatchable game seven it was incredibly disappointing as a team by and large how they didn't show up the last three games but the majority are not saying uh you know get rid of mitch marner get rid of anybody or or really making it that personal you know it, it's it's funny it goes off in that tangent but the 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 point you're saying scott and i agree is okay so we're being told this is five consecutive years another lesson learned we move forward Austin Matthews is the guy. Austin Matthews is one of the three finalists for the Ted Lindsay Award voted by the players. He may end up being one of the three finalists for the Hart Trophy. He may win a Hart Trophy in the next couple of years. He's a special, special guy, as Mike Babcock would say. And the other guys, you know, the the nucleus, uh, hey, Tavares, Nylander, Marner, who would not want them on their team? But this is the guy you're building around. And I I keep the day it happened – I, I said, why was he allowed to get a five-year term when Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl have an eight-year term, Jack Eichel has an eight-year term, Nathan McKinnon has a seven-year term? There was really no precedent. So all of a sudden, you got three years left with him. You got two years, and it becomes a distraction like Seth Jones is in Columbus. So um, I hope they feel confident that he wants to stay here. Three years is a long time down the road. I have no idea what he wants to do or not wants to do, but contractually, yeah, they don't have as much time uh, as, as I think most people realize unless all these guys want to come back and you can fit them in the salary cap down the road. You only got a couple of years. Yeah, and they also got paid like they were on max term. Bingo. Like it wasn't Bingo. a bridge. These aren't bridge contracts, but they also weren't max term contracts. And yet their AAVs more accurately reflect the seven or eight year deals that typically get handed out. Yeah, and, and, you know, and that is water under the bridge. But, you know, now the water is starting to come over the bridge because we're getting a little deeper in the contract. Five years seemed a long time when Matthew signed it a couple of years ago. And, you know, the other thing, and, and to, you know, and, and again, they'll figure out what they like or don't like about Toronto. But, you know, to Ziggy's point about it's, um, we, you know, it is. It, there, there's Being high profile here is different than any other city. But we got to stop apologizing as a fan base about the fact we're such rabid, dedicated fans, okay? we got to stop putting it on us. Who would not want to play here? Ask Matt Sundin, ask Curtis Joseph, ask Gary Roberts, ask Joe Newendike, ask Wendell Clark, ask Doug Gilmore. You know, ask all these guys what they think of Daryl Siddler, you know? Ask them all what they think of the Toronto experience, their best experience. So, you know, you balance it out that way. And, yeah, you know, walking down to get a burrito and that could be tough and all that. But it's, it, it, it's a great environment 
we we provide and we don't have to apologize uh every time about you know being disappointed about a uh unfortunate and unexpected first round loss like happened a couple of days ago i wanted your thoughts on bringing the four back for another year because after last year in the bubble i said okay this is like their last shot and i there are many analysts and people that talk about hockey every day that said the same thing okay this is the last chance with this group uh, 2020, and then if it doesn't work this year, I'm sure there'll be changes this summer. All of a sudden, we go through what we go through in seven games. Them co- Habs coming back from down 3-1, and I've changed my tune again. I've said that I think the four should stay together, and I wouldn't trade anybody. Where were you prior to this year and, and going forward now? Oh, always about you. They're four wonderful players. The four great players. They had great seasons. This season was a great regular season. That's what's that's mm-hmm. what's more aggravating is they did everything right in the regular season. It wasn't like a, a hope and a prayer that they could get themselves righted for the playoffs. That was the Montreal Canadian narrative, and they did it. And plus, they got healthy. Uh, so I mean, boy, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, William Nylander, Austin Matthews. Gimme, 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 gimme. Like I mean, you know, there, there's and like what dumped them. First of all, that's ridiculous. Is there, is there and, and even even uh, Kyle Dubas referred to it, and he's always got to be careful that you're not tampering, and he was in this case. He just said, you know, if there was a special Seth Jones, Ryan Johansson-type trade, then maybe you look at that, some elite young players, but those trades happen about once every decade. I, I You know, like the, these guys, these guys are elite players, and it's interesting, on the day they announced the Ted Lindsay Award, Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, and, uh, and Austin Matthews, all three players – playing on teams that had bitter first-round playoff exits, right? So it wasn't just Austin. I mean, uh, the Oilers and the Penguins aren't too happy how things went in the first round of the playoffs for them. Gord Stelic is our guest on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. The only argument that I can make for moving a Marner, and when I say this, I acknowledge that it's actually not that great an argument, so it probably tells you where I stand on this, but if, if moving Marner is point A, you need to be sure that point B and point C are going to fall into place. So if you move Marner, say, to unload salary and you get a package back, which obviously will chew into some of the Marner salary that you're offloading, you better be damn sure, Gord, that somebody like a Dougie Hamilton is going to be willing to sign here as an unrestricted free agent that buys you a true number one defenseman. And then you're going to have to do your very best to try to make up for as much of the lost scoring points getting uh, that, that, that you're going to, that you're going to lose by trading Marner. So I, I don't think you can win a Marner trade straight up. If you make that move, there's going to be a domino effect of at least one move, maybe two moves after that. And then, and then it's all about assessing that. That's a very complicated way to go. Well, where I'll say is that's kind of what Boston did with Joe Thornton way back when. They had cap issues. They made not a great trade with San Jose, but it was to fit other guys in because it was after the lockout and everyone had a hard time figuring out the cap. And ultimately, they won a Stanley Cup. So I'll use that scenario a little bit as a precedent that way. But again, you know, Scott and, and Ziggy, I'll go back to when we talk about Marner. Okay, um, and again, I, I liked hearing, what, you, know, you know, let's face it, Brendan, Kyle, and Sheldon, that wasn't fun for them. 
that's like going to, you know, when you go to the traffic tribunal and try to plead guilty with an explanation, which is the dumbest thing, but all you want to make sure is you get no <laughs> points, right? Like, what a dumb expression, <laughs> guilty with an explanation. But anyway, that, that's kind of what their last exit pressers were like. And so it comes up about, um, and I, I, well, whoever said it, but okay, another lesson learned and we move forward, you know, and I kind of go, okay, wait a sec. Mitch Marner learned the first two playoffs. Mitch Marner had phenomenal playoffs. So how come there's a lesson forgotten? Whatever. Like, I mean, what's how, you know, like, you know, like he had a great playoff against Washington. Great first one against Boston. Like, uh, I, you know, I, what else can they really say? Okay. I mean, that's kind of the storyline they're saying. They're as stunned as everybody else and whatever. But, uh, yeah, I, I, the way they played games five, six, and seven, do you think there was any lesson learned? Did you see any urgency? Do you see any kind like like as a team, as a team, not just the elite players? Like you know, they should have. This series should have been home and cooled out. And Mitch Marner, if he had no goals in five or six games, so be it. And you see what he does in the next round of the playoffs. I mean, I so uh, it, then it, it when when you get disappointed, you go back and sure enough, and I know you mentioned it. Scotty, about the guys that score the goals. Look at the Boston Bruins. <laughs> the Leafs were supposed to be, three years ago, you thought the Leafs would be the Boston Bruins in three years' time. And Brad Marchand and David Pasternak and, you know, whoever gets the goals three years ago in the playoffs would be doing it uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs again. And unfortunately, um, you know, maybe Brian Burke had the 18-wheeler went off the road. We've got it that the 18-wheeler has stalled when the playoffs start. <laughs> you know, it's on the road, it's going great, and all of a sudden, when you least expect it, uh, it stalls. So you mentioned games uh, five, six, and seven. So do you, like Dubas talks about, well, if I liked my team after after uh, game four, why would I not like them after game seven? Like how much stock do you put in those three games where this group just couldn't find a way to get it done? And and that's the right thing for Kyle to say and think. Absolutely. It's just like, you know, all of a sudden you're my great friend, but something happens and a week later, you're the worst guy I've ever met. You know, you got to put things mm-hmm. in context and, uh, uh, so I agree with that statement, but they got to find like, but the next part, and I'd love to hear the players having a few beers and talking about, and, and first of all, momentum is a big thing. And, and uh, I remember God rest his soul, the late George Armstrong always talked about that. It's a, you know, it's a, it's easy to say you can bounce back, but when some one team in the playoff gets on a run and gets, that's why you can't take your foot off the gas. Cause once it's off, Quite often, it's hard to get back. But you got to figure out why. Never mind that you just lost the games. And I know two went to overtime. And I, I, but but you put yourself behind. You were playing from behind the whole time. I mean, they just did. They, you know, they were like the three games when the Leafs beat the Edmonton Oilers three straight. Remember that uncharted waters, like just the phenomenal three different goaltenders, three wins, you name it. And then in the then they picked the playoffs to have the reverse version. And you know, to me, that's something you got to help. You try to help identify uh, about what kind of tweak and they said that they're gonna look at it but man it's it's one it's certainly one year too long it's hey it's two two year two years too long to buy the same kind of uh postseason exit thing and even a year after that you know was kind of iffy so you know it's it's kind of a it's kind of watching a bad rerun that you never liked the first run in the first place (laughs) it i i think the answer is is that we only live in the moment and we only know what we know at a particular time but I'll throw this one at you. It's early February next year, and Austin Matthews is clearly on pace for 50 goals over an 82-game season, and Mitch Marner's playing at a point-of-game pace for the sake of argument. Are we reveling in that as a Maple Leafs fan base? Because I just don't think you can sit there for six or seven consecutive months over 82 regular season games and cross your arms and go, 
Well, uh, show me in April. I don't care about any of this. Show me in April. Like, I, I, I people are angry right now, but I do think fans will revert and find joy in the successes of victories and individual performances next year. Uh, you know, for those that are old enough, so the 1985 Toronto Blue Jays had a bitter loss to the Kansas City Royals after they led that series. And they were an elite team. And it took them seven years to win the World Series, okay, after – you know, so and, and Blue Jays fans were incredibly disappointed, but also very would, would get ticked at certain people. I mean, Cito took a lot of hit. Like he like back then, Pat Gillick, Stan Pat Gillick. Like there was a lot more criticism thrown at coaches and general managers and you know managers in baseball back then. So you know, it, it's like the, the fans will still be there next year, especially coming out of COVID. It's going to be wonderful to be able to have fans back in the building again. And part of being a, a fan, you know, it's like the Cubs and Red Sox is living through these kind of extremes. It makes it all the more sweeter. So, you know, they'll get going, and I, I'll love watching Austin Matthews if he wins the Rock of Richard and Mitch Marner. How can you not love watching him and what John Tavares can do and all those things? But, again, it'll come down to in the playoffs. And, you know, Brendan Shanahan, he speaks from experience. You know, it took him 10 years to win a cup. Then he won three. But someone quickly also fired back at him. You know, Brendan, I understand what you're saying. You know, Detroit's a great example of how much time it took, and then they won a whack of cups. But they never lost five first rounds in a row. Okay, they had like at least a first round win along and then maybe got disappointed later. Same with the Washington Capitals and that. I mean, that's that's one difference that way. But, you know, in a lot of ways, we really have no choice. And, hey, I'm going to enjoy all 82 games. I'm going to love the fact that there are 82 games given what we're coming out of. And then it'll come back to, oh, my goodness, the same old. And, and once they went around Ziggy and Scott, like they're going to be shutting down the intersections every play. Like, so I know it can be a pressure-packed place to play, but they're going to be after every playoff win. You'll have a couple of intersections you can't get by around Scotiabank Arena. Just be nice to be outside again and Absolutely. be allowed to be. Um, Absolutely, it's been a lot of fun this year, Gord. And you know we'll call on you during the off season. But thanks for this. Always appreciate the perspective. Well, uh, always, and hey, Leaf fans are not, let's stop with the guys who are, and women who are burning jerseys or whatever they're doing. Let's get a perspective about it. It's been a very disappointing week, but you know what? The, the regular fan base uh, has their sanity about it. So always fun joining you guys, whether you have your sanity or not. <laughs> Gord Stellick <laughs> with Nick Elberga, the co-host of Leafs Nation pre and post here on Sportsnet 590, the fan. On jersey burning, on the Shifley hit on Evans four-game suspension, how good are these Blue Jays? And when will the discussion about LeBron being done, because we're going to get our fill of that over the next few years, truly begin? Those topics for the panel when Hugh jumps in. Mark Shifley gets four games for his hit on Jake Evans. Are the Blue Jays actually better than where they stand in the American League East right now? They got the Houston Astros coming in for three games. And LeBron James. Should we get out in front of it? Should we have that discourse about whether LeBron James is done being a truly elite NBA player? You know it's coming in the same ilk as Tom Brady in the NFL. Hugh jumps in. We do the panel next.
Huberl in for the panel. Sorry, I had the rock horns up there. Twisted sister. You satisfied with four games for Mark Shifley? I I didn't think he'd get that many. This I is thought the maybe, second consecutive yeah. decision yeah, the league has made. I thought maybe two. Four. I, I was surprised at four. Well, I, I I actually think four might be too many. Here's what games. here's what I want to know. And I don't think we can have the answer to this question until next year. Is the Kadri on Falk eight games and the Shifley on Evans four games the new trend? Or is it a reactionary response to all the grief the league took for its lack of any yeah. consequential decision in the Tom Wilson New York Rangers situation? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, th- I think we have to wait until next year for for the dust to settle if this is the new norm i don't know ziggy what do you think are they going to start cracking down harder now or is this just temporary yeah i i think it's changing every year and it's changed in five years it's changed a lot in 10 and from my first year 20 years ago it's a different game like 20 years ago Shifley's not even getting a penalty for that hit. Never mind four games in the playoffs, which is really like eight games in the regular season. So if you want to have any idea on how much it has changed, there's a good idea. Yeah, Shifley hit on Evans. We're celebrating was, that hit 20 years ago. Like, we're like, oh my God, what a great hit you 20 know, years ago. Like, I remember, and you'll probably call me a pinko or something, yep. but... but I remember the 2000, uh, 2000 Eastern Conference final. Everybody, all I got to say is Stevens on Lindros, right? Yep. Game seven. And nobody was texting back then because it was 2000. We actually talked face-to-face. I had more arguments about that hit with people. I thought that hit was awful. Mm-hmm. I thought that hit was completely unnecessary. I, I think there's a way to separate Lindros from the puck. I know he's a beast. Yeah, but it was within the boundaries of the rules. At the, of course, yeah. it was. Yeah. Uh, but but so was I think Shifley on Evans. But the thing is, is there can be a difference between the legality and the morality. It, it becomes a question of just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. So. Yeah. You know, whether it was Stevens on Lindros or, or Stevens on Korea, like what kind of suspensions would Scott Stevens be getting <laughs> oh. in 2021 for hits that were not only celebrated yeah. by a lot of people, but like we're making the highlight reels as, holy Absolutely. crap, did yeah. you see that? It was almost like porn. Yeah. Like you couldn't take your eyes off of seeing Paul Korea splattered on the ice face down. Mm. That was only 20 years ago. Yeah, and I think... Shifley kind of slowed down and then lined him up. I, I think that had a lot to do with it. If this was just he was going full out the whole way to try to prevent the goal and in an effort to do so, hit Jake Evans, maybe the suspension is in four games, but he slowed down. Like he stopped skating and then kind of zeroed in on him. At least that's what there I There might saw. have been two or three strides yeah. for where he... yeah glided yeah but he's but he's he's chasing the guy down the ice this is not a situation where a guy has the puck on the far wall and he's kind of going one-on-one and some guy goes barreling six strides to him like it's it's a little bit of a different charge like he's chasing down a guy for an empty net it's it is different than a lot of the charging calls that we see get called in the nhl so 
I, I don't like that argument that it was a charge. Like, what was he supposed to do? You're not going to go and play a puck where a guy's skating down the ice trying to put an empty net in? Is, I just think if you see, yeah. It, Ziggy, and, and you're you a great one to ask this. Is there a situation or where he can let, like, he can still make a hit, but he doesn't have to blow the guy up? Do you know what I mean? Like, it, or yeah, is it all I, or nothing? I think that was the, I, I literally think, I think if, if you asked Chifley, and you said, how much harder could you have hit him if you wanted? I think he would say, I could have tried to hit him twice as hard as I hit him. Like, mm. I don't think he, oh, so he went the he way he went. Up. You think he was letting up? I don't think he'd let up. I just think if you asked Shifley, like, how hard would you rate that hit? He's, he probably would have said, I could have hit him twice as hard. I just think that's what the play called for. It was a guy trying to put an empty net puck in. I wanted to get it. Like, if you put the true serum on Shifley and you said, okay, what were you thinking there? Well, I'm going to give it a 15% chance. I could have stopped him. And at least I'm going to make sure I hit him hard enough that he knows that next game, you know, it means something, right? Like it's the playoffs. I think he tried to get a lick on him. I re- like I'm saying it's a legal hit. I'm saying I didn't like him. And at the same time, Shifley tried to get, try to get a number on him. Like it, and not in a vicious way. Just a, you want an empty net? All right, you're going to get hit this hard. If you're, you're going to have to pay the price if you're going to want to score. But I also, that's think it, kind of what, how I took it. But yeah. I think it's this simple too. And you touched on it yesterday, Ziggy. If you want this stuff to stop, you got to suspend it. So let's just play hypothetical and say game six, similar situation, Winnipeg, Montreal. Is Mark Shifley throwing that hit? No. Because he doesn't want another four-game suspension should Winnipeg advance, mm-hmm. right? And so if the game has changed as much as we know it has and say it has in the last five years, let alone 10, let alone 20, if Kadri on Falk and Shifley on Evans is the start of a disciplinary trend in this league, then players not too long into the future probably less than this, but I'll say five years, will be thinking twice. If I blow this guy up in this situation, I run the risk of a five or a 10 game or a whatever game suspension. And I would advocate for the NHL, God knows, I'm not going to walk around very often saying, follow the NFL's lead on how to handle things. But in this instance, I do think you can define it even further in the rule book to talk about a defenseless puck carrier in the same way that the NFL and part of this is because of the concussion lawsuits. It's also an attempt to drive up offense and that wouldn't be a bad thing in the NHL. You institute a rule about a defenseless puck carrier and, and that takes the onus off the puck carrier in the same way that it's taken the onus off of the receiver cutting across the middle of the field trying to make catches on on seven-yard in routes and not getting stumped by a linebacker or safety. I, I see where you're going with this. In, in best-case scenario, that happens. And that, that will happen until that guy you let up on dekes around you, scores the winning goal. Okay, but, but safeties, if, if they're going to blow a guy up, they're going to get a 15-yard penalty, and that's going to move the chains and, and move the ball down the field. I, I still think if, if you have a chance to blow a guy up as opposed to giving up a great scoring chance, 
especially in the playoffs. Is it worth a six-game suspension? Worth it, whatever it might be? In, in, the, in the heat of the what moment, I'm saying you're probably going to blow the you guy know up. this, Ziggy, you know yeah. this. There, there are highlights you watch in NFL games, or you might happen to be watching the game live at the time where you say, 15 years ago, a guy would have leaned into the receiver and knocked him back. And the guy may have held onto the ball and it would have been a catch, but he wouldn't have rumbled down the field and scored. He wouldn't mm-hmm. have got the yards after and yeah. scored the touchdown. Like, that is a thing now in the NFL. It could become a thing in in hockey. And again, like, I, I'm all for more scoring yeah. chances. I, yeah. I don't know. This is one of the, and I, I, I hate to use this in sports talk radio, but this is one of those ones we're just going to have to see. We have to let this play out for a little while to see if this is a knee jerk or if this is the beginning of a trend. And the only way you do that is just by letting it play out over the next couple of years. The Toronto Blue Jays, have you checked their run differential? They are all the kids are talking about. They are pretty good baseball teams. They've got Mm -hmm. 47 more runs scored, 272 to the 225 they've allowed. Based on run differential... They should be tied with Tampa Bay in the loss column at the top of the division. Tampa Bay's played more games. So Tampa Bay's expected win-loss is 36-22, and 22, which is their actual record. The Blue Jays' expected win-loss based on run differential is 32-22. and 22. They're 29-25 and 25 in reality, which gets back to some of the bullpen choke jobs that we've yeah. seen in the last two and a half weeks. It was nice that the Blue Jays got one back against Miami, scoring three to walk it off in the bottom of the ninth on Wednesday night. The bullpen, the pitching remains a question. But I think this Blue Jays team is a big move away between now and the trade deadline to get an arm or two from being really, really good and being in this hunt in what has become the toughest division in Major League Baseball. Them and the NL West, because San Francisco's unexpectedly good. You got the Dodgers and Padres. I say the AL East, the NL West are the two best divisions in baseball. I think the Jays are right in the middle of this thing. Are there any names that jump out off the page to you right away? Well, is it a Jose Barrios out of Minnesota? The Twins are not getting back into the central race. Luis Castillo has They're had already a, 12 games out. Luis Castillo's had a really bad start to the season with Cincinnati, but he was unbelievable last year and is coming off of a couple of really nice seasons. Could Pete Walker figure it out with him? And he's got like two years left to control after this one. You could also go after some veteran free impending free agents. A Max Scherzer would be a huge move. He's a free agent at the end of the year. One. That would be huge. Yeah. yeah. I, I'd like that move. That's right a there. game changer, right sure, there. Sure. Yeah, and it's. What would you have to give up to year? get a guy like that, though? Lots. Well, ex- ex- yes, except that he's essentially a rental. Yeah. Right. Like he's not. I do think you'd have to give up a big time prospect, but he's not gonna. He's not gonna require the haul that somebody no. with two, two or three more years left to control. Like if I'm the Minnesota Twins. I don't have to trade Jose Barrios. No. Why would I? If I don't get the package I want. If I'm the Washington Nationals and I don't think I can bring Max Scherzer back, then, and Scherzer's into his late 30s now anyway, but if I don't think I can bring him back, well, then I've got to move him to get something for him. Right? Yeah. So 
I, I don't think the package would be as much as it would be for a controllable guy, but it still would be something. There's, there's no question about that because Scherzer is a game changer. Game well, changer. If you don't, yeah. If you don't make a move like that, I find it very hard. And I know this is a big assumption that they do get in the playoffs. I can't see them getting, getting by a first round with without a, bringing in another big arm to the rotation. Like I can see that I can see them squeaking in the playoffs. I don't think it happens unless Springer comes back. The way that current roster is constructed, constructed, and with the injuries, but you bring a guy like Scherzer in, you have the one-two punch with Ryu. You can win. You can win a round. I don't know how deep you can go, but you can at least win a round, and that's all that matters. Right. And if you got a guy like Scherzer, he might be your game one playoff starter, as opposed to whoa, 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 whoa. As now opposed we're to Ryu. It too far. No, no. no well, <laughs> well, or your wild card starter. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, the, yeah. the playing yeah. game, and then Ryu would be your game one starter. If uh, but you, it's a if nice decision to have, though. Yeah, I, 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 think nice. if you get Ma- I think if you get Max Schertz, or you, you ask him, what game do you want to start? <laughs> Seriously. Well, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's just the one thing with Ryu is that there isn't as much swing and miss there because yeah. he's not the high-velocity guy. And you but, know, but, yeah, but Scherzer, he's making $35 million. So that's and prorated on the final. <laughs> I guess it would still be about fifteen million bucks if you got him at the end of July. And he can veto trades as well, right? Like, how do you even know he wants to come to Toronto? Yeah, well, that's, he's that's another thing, right? He's a he's a ten and five guy. Ten years come to Buffalo. He, ten years of major league service time, five consecutive. I love with the, the same te- team. I love the ten and five rights. It's my favorite. Love you it. love ten and five. <laughs> I I wonder how many times people say ten and five when it's like, well, what ten, what's ten and five? What the hell does that mean? What the ten and five? He's a ten and Players five guy. Be, cured, I'll, I'll read it. Ten years of major league service time and spent the past five consecutive years with the same team right. are awarded ten and five rights. Under right. these circumstances, a player can veto any trade scenario that is proposed. So that's yeah, what it it's means. full no trade. It's a, it's, a, it's it's an NMC. It's a no move clause built right in. And it's based on tenure and haven't been around a little while. What do you guys make of the uh, the crackdown? They're the coming crackdown on pitchers using illegal substances well, on baseball. It's isn't it funny that <laughs> Garrett Cole doesn't throw very well for the Yankees yesterday, yeah. and there was a lot of chatter that his the spin rate on his pitches yesterday the revolutions were fewer than they had been in a number of years. It's probably a coincidence. There are still shots of guys going into the thumb area of their glove with their index finger. There was a still shot of that the other night. Uh, Trevor Bauer, there are all these rumors going on about him. You remember the big Clay Buckholz thing when the Red Sox came in to Toronto early in 2013 and there was the bullfrog sunscreen. His wrist was really, really shiny. Yeah, yeah. And all of that. There's, there's no. Gaylord Perry used to have why, the brim well, of Well, Gaylord cap. Perry was yeah. a spitballer. Yeah. yeah well, why does have up there too? And yeah. So you guys want the league to crack down on it and nope. start like right now? No, I don't. I, I, so you want to legalize it? Have every p- pitcher do whatever you want. Bring whatever you want. Bring a whole. Uh, I think it's fine. Bring the way whole, it is. It, it, there, there's a saying. But, but a saying no, 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 Hugh. You, you louder than Ziggy and me. And I've been pretty loud about it. But you're louder than anybody says this game is boring. It is. Okay, well, yeah. We need to stop spin, it. Then. Spin yeah. rate. To stop it. Spin rate has a lot to do with swing and miss. <laughs> let it enhances the, the break, let it the enhances the run use on the fastball. Whatever, whatever they want and let the batters use cork bats. Why not? 
How about, how about they, they use the bats that we use in the batting cages oh. that are apparently just juiced? <laughs> <laughs> who broke Who broke the bat? Did I? You broke the bat. Yeah. yeah, I got one in the on bats, the handle. No offense just... to Walmart, but the bats were from Walmart. <laughs> I'm convinced. I don't know who brought them, but the bats that we used were from Walmart. How right about off our, the rack. How about our buddy James, our producer, who took one right off the fingers? Yeah. You know, tough, though. And then came back gamer. and swung yeah. more. I love how Walked I love off. how all you know what I love about that whole day about us in the batting cages is how everybody showed up with batting gloves on and I didn't. It was like everyone looking at me. I was no. like, I I I don't know. No. What, what do you mean batting gloves? Who uses batting? Like, does every player use no, batting gloves? What I'll never forget about that day <laughs> is you didn't know where to park. And it was pouring rain. Oh, so you walked so like sick. two blocks. You were no, no, so I walked five K as opposed to parking to the, right beside uh, the building. Right, yeah. You, as long as Hugh, as long as Hugh has his VIP parking in front, right. you were Don't so you were soaked. You walked in with your hoodie pulled over your oh, head and so an angry sour. look on your face because you I was like, these are going deep. These yeah. are you going can only get wet once. You didn't think you didn't think you were going to hit 90 or what was the you didn't no, think no. you were going to yeah, get 90. No, there's no way. Well, the lead up to it. I just I know. And my buddy that in baseball, he's like, you're not hitting 90. And the only chance you have is to go right at 90 first pitch in. And I heard it from a couple friends of mine. And one was my grade seven teacher, Mr. Watts. He's like, hey, if you don't go right at 90, it, you're not touching. You're not going to touch it. You start at 50 and work your way up. There's no way. Yeah, you can't build says, up. Go with. Yeah, he's like you can't. You're not. He's like your hand eye. <laughs> Ignorance. He's like you haven't bliss. hit a ball in. T- yeah, he's like you haven't hit a ball in ten years. Like it's, it's not going to be pretty. So that was a fun day. It was batting cages, but yeah, I love how I was the only one that didn't have batting gloves. Just no one said I have anything. To check, no have message. To check the video on that. No one. I'm message. Not sure if we were all wearing batting gloves. No message to me in the group chat. Hey, make sure you bring gloves. I like my hand was black for two weeks after. Well, so was mine. I rolled my <laughs> wrist. I rolled my bottom wrist on a swing. I was oh. <laughs> sore for a while. Not all heroes wear capes. Oh. But so when it comes when it comes to the, the the illegal substances in baseball, there's a saying in NASCAR: "You ain't cheating, you ain't trying." So all these guys are doing are trying. That's all they're doing. I thought the saying in NASCAR was <laughs> "Have mullet, will grow." Get her done. Get her done. How can you how can you hide the like well, all kidding aside? How do you hide the substances like in your glove or hat? Like how does that happen? Like that's what I don't get. Well, it, I, it depends on what the substance is. Like, do you yeah, remember? Can you tell? Do you remember Michael Pineda of the Yankees a few years ago? He's mm-hmm. with the Twins now. He had some pine tar on the side of his neck, and every now and then he would reach with his index and middle fingers of his pitching yeah, yeah. hand and just sort of rub. Yeah. So they have different ways of doing it. You can tuck it in into your glove. I mean, there were there would be oh, yeah. guys who had little razors back in the day yep. that would just sort of slice into the ball yep. ever so slightly into the hide to get better break. Any, I, any little advantage, right? Every, yeah. So the crackdown here is going to be really, really interesting because, you know, a lot of these pitchers who are doing this are very good anyway, but they're made even better. Yeah. That's my old Barry Bonds argument, right? Barry Bonds was a great baseball player who just happened to be made greater by the fact that he was on Alex, cow, cow Alex steroids. Rodriguez. Yeah, Alex right. Rodriguez, same thing. Yeah. You know, like Barry Bonds shows up with a new jawline in 1999. How you doing? Like, and a right. head about four sizes bigger. Right. Yeah. Well, that's it. Because that, right? that happens naturally. So it it's... Great players made greater, 
owners have invested a lot of money. Like Trevor Bauer's making more than $40 million a year with the LA Dodgers. They ain't paying him to be anything but what he's supposed to be. And if he ain't what he's supposed to be because they crack down on this stuff, like, I don't know, this this evidence was presented at the latest, latest owners meeting and all of that, but there there's a lot of money invested in these guys to be great. I don't know if the owners are truly invested in getting this stuff out of the game. Yeah, that's... Same with steroids post-94 strike. Everybody just look the other the way. The McGuire-Sosa home run chase in 98 brought the game back. There was Cal Ripken's consecutive games streak, him passing Lou Gehrig in 95. Then there was the Sosa-McGuire home run chase. Then there was Barry Bonds getting to 73 or whatever he got in 01, and there was a buildup toward that. That's the, they all looked the other way. Mm-hmm. Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame. Put the Royds users in the Hall of Fame, right? Ben Nicholson-Smith on the other side. Are the Blue Jays better than their record? Their run differential suggests that they are. So it's this a Scherzer-type move or a couple of moves they need to make. We'll get to Ben Nicholson-Smith and his thoughts on the alleged cheating in Major League Baseball next. We should do a segment, Ziggy, most disgusting things that we know have happened in sports. Like our little group chat got going in the aftermath of the whole talk about foreign substances being used by pitchers. How Moises Alou, who didn't wear batting gloves when he played. Moises Alou, great player. Montreal Expos, Marlins, Astros, Cubs. Used to pee on his hands. Used to pee on his hands. Yeah, that's kind of gross. To to harden them, like to harden the calluses so that his hands could handle going a year without batting gloves. Yeah, that's um that's up there for me. I think that actually wins it. I don't need to hear any I don't even need to hear any other so. Ziggy's thinking of like rifling through all the locker room story. He's got no, I don't want to I don't want to dive into this wading pool. <laughs> that's pretty gross. <laughs> Pretty gross. Moises Alou, the urinator. He and George Costanza. There you have it. Uh, Ben Nicholson-Smith is here. He is uh, the baseball editor for Sportsnet.ca, Blue Jays and MLB insider. And he is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Ben, we've been talking in the last segment just about the information, if you will, that was brought up at the owners' meetings this week about pitchers using foreign substances to increase the spin rates on their pitches, uh, which, of course, leads to more swing and miss because there's wilder break on your breaking balls. There's more upward run on your four-seam fastballs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And my question for you is, should we anticipate any kind of crackdown here or... If I'm the owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, for example, and I've paid Trevor Bauer 40 plus million dollars a year to pitch for me, am I happy with the status quo? Because I'm I'm paying 40 million dollars for Trevor Bauer to produce the way he has the last couple of years. And I don't want anything going on that might mitigate that production. 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, especially you think about a guy like Bauer, and he was a good pitcher before this, but he wasn't necessarily a Cy Young winner. So whenever this crackdown happens, you have to think that there are some pitchers, and Bauer's obviously the first one that comes to mind, but there will be others around the league whose stuff just diminishes. And, you know, I, I think that is something that Major League Baseball obviously has to consider pretty carefully. But at the same time, whatever it is, whether it's the sticky stuff, whether it's further rule changes or changes to the ball or the mound, I think we'd all like to see just a bit more action out there and a bit more chances for players to show off the athleticism that they definitely have. Do you think that when, if you're trying to enforce something like this, do you get, like, how do, how do they do that? Do they check the pitchers before they go to the mount? Like, what do you think something would look like if the league w- was going to crack down? Well, I do think we would be less likely to see the loaded up hats and gloves that we currently see. Obviously, Giovanni Gallegos, that's the one that comes to mind. But even whether it's John Means, um, Rafael Dolis has stuff on his glove. Now, I'm not saying that it's not just a little bit of sunscreen or not a little bit of rosin. I don't know. I'm here in Toronto and certainly not inspecting his glove. But I think that we would be less likely to see the egregious lumps of indeterminate brown substance on the hats and gloves of players that we do now. And players would have to be a bit more discerning on the times that they reach for that stuff, whether, you know, like now on the mound, they obviously know cameras are trained on them at all times. So do they try to put some in different places? Does it go to the catcher who, who, you know, puts something on his, uh, his shin guards before he throws it to the mound? I, I do not think, and I don't know where you guys land on this, I don't think that we are completely going to get rid of sunscreen and rosin or different forms of sticky stuff because pitchers use it and rely on it. So I think it would be just a question of those most egregious examples uh, disappearing from the game. Well, and I, I go back to the mid to late 90s, Ben, after the 1994 players strike wiped out the World Series that year and fans were quite rightly angry. What brought the game back? First, it was Cal Ripken Jr., surpassing Lou Gehrig for consecutive games played in September of 95. And then it was Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa lighting the world on fire through the summer of 1998 and Barry Bonds piggybacking on that and showing up to spring training in Scottsdale, Arizona in February of 1999 with a new head. Right? So, I mean, there were a lot of steroids. There was a lot of human growth hormone stuff they inject into horses was going into human bodies back then. And baseball turned a blind eye to it because home runs brought the game back. And this is a different situation because it's it's mitigating offense. But I really only think an embarrassment is going to get anybody to change course here. There's just too much money involved. And, you know, like I'll go back to Trevor Bauer. They're paying him $40 million to be the guy that he's been for Cleveland and Cincinnati in the last few years. They're not paying him $40 million to go back to being the guy trying to break into baseball seven, eight years ago. It's interesting, right? Because I I think there's something to that. And embarrassment, you know, we've seen league and, and whether they should have been, obviously, um, much more motivated to make changes before, 
But oftentimes it can be that embarrassment that motivates them. And baseball is not a sport that's quick to move on its own, obviously, as, as you know. I think that, yeah, that, that definitely could be the case here where something has to happen. And I don't know what it would be. Like, I, I'm not sure what kind of event would have to unfold for baseball to be so thoroughly embarrassed that they would have a zero tolerance policy for something like the sticky stuff. So more likely, maybe there's a token rule. Maybe there's, uh, you know, a shift on paper. But, you know, I wouldn't want to be the umpire, guys, who has to enforce this stuff because the umpires have turned a blind eye to it forever. And then now you you have to draw the line between what's, you know, completely out of bounds and and what's permissible. Yeah, and the umpires themselves are having a hard enough time just calling the strike zone properly, let alone uh, dealing with um, any shenanigans that might be going on. Ben Nicholson-Smith is with us. He is a Blue Jays insider and the baseball editor for Sportsnet.ca. This is leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan. Kevin Pillar returned to action this past week after two weeks removed from getting hit by a 94-mile-an-hour fa- uh, fastball from Jacob Webb. Um, I just wanted your thoughts. That's been now two players being hit in the head in two weeks. Bryce Harper uh, happened to him a couple weeks ago. Do you think the league is going to do anything to institute like a full cage for batters um, when they're when they're at the plate, or do you think that's there's no chance of anything like that happening to protect protect the players? Well, it's yeah. You never you always hate to see that happen. It can be such scary moments. Um, I, I don't see that happening. I think clearly it would be a big adjustment for the players just from a visibility standpoint. And, uh, you know, for, for some guys, maybe, you know, they might've worn something in college. Um, you know, certainly you can have the ones around the mouth level, so it's not blocking the eyes as much, but I just think that in a sport like baseball, that's so slow to change. It, and I know hockey went through a similar thing and I guess it was the seventies or the eighties or the, you know, obviously, um, masks didn't used to be the, the norm. So it's possible, but I just, I don't know that I see that on the horizon for baseball at this point. Pilar's something though, eh? I mean, well, whatever flaws he had as a player and he was a free swinger and still is a free swinger, Ben. I mean, the one thing I'll give Kevin Pilar, he was a gamer, man. And he was out there every single day. And he used to say, he probably still does. I play center field like I played tight end in high school. I'll I'll destroy my body to make the catch. I'll never forget him jumping into the brick wall at Wrigley Field in August of 2017. It it, it doesn't surprise me at all that he came back that quickly. No, zero surprise. And I'm sure a lot of people listening are are kind of nodding along and thinking, "Yep, I saw the same version of Kevin Pillar here in 15 and 16 and 17 with the Blue Jays when he was just." running into absolutely everything. I mean, you know, the turf that he was taking those dives on a Rogers center, not necessarily the, the softest place to, to take those landings. And it's amazing. Like he's still a, a helpful major league player. He's never been a superstar and probably his best year ever might've been 2015 with the blue Jays, at least defensively speaking, but he continues to be a good player, despite the fact that, you know, every couple of weeks you look around and he's throwing his body into this wall or into you know, you know, if he was um, it, you know, running the bases, anything really, like there's just no limit to the kind of uh, to the kind of intensity that will put himself there. With Ben Nicholson-Smith on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. So I'm going to give you some team names here. The Chicago White Sox, 
the Houston Astros, and the Tampa Bay Rays. Those are the only three teams in the American League with a better run differential than the Blue Jays plus 47. The Jays have scored 272 and have allowed 225. Their expected win-loss based off of their run differential, the so-called Pythagorean win, win-loss, is 32-22. and 22. Instead, they are 29-25, and 25, three games worse. This team is pretty good, Ben, and it hasn't had George Springer, and I'm done pretending like I have any idea when George Springer is coming back. That might be a conversation for a minute or two from now. But if you're Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins, you got to look at this group and what it's accomplished in spite of a lot of things, including the fact it doesn't really have a home. And say to yourself, there's a move or two we could make between now and July 31st that puts us even deeper into it because we're already into this race in what is the best division in baseball. Oh yeah. I mean, four teams deep. That's, that is tough to match. And I agree with everything you said there, Scotty. I mean, I think that this team is good. Um, and you know, we're still getting used to the fact that Vlad Guerrero jr. Is one of the best hitters in baseball. And it really helps your entire team. Ask the Padres with Tatis, ask the Braves with Acuna. If you have one of the best hitters in baseball, it's a little easier to make everything else fit. And especially when you have Bobachet, Teoscar Hernandez, Randall Gritchuk, these guys are coming through with good, if not great, but certainly good or very good offensive seasons. You've got Ryu and Robbie Ray pitching very well. Now, with that being said, this team has holes, and they need to find ways to improve the existing roster, starting pitching, relief pitching. I still think they need a bench bat. So there are ways to improve this roster, and I think that in a couple months ahead, they're going to look to do that. It's a little bit easier to say that now, too, having seen they're going out and getting George Springer and Hyunjin Ryu. If they need a bench bat or a reliever, like I think they're going to do it, and they have the prospects to do it. They've got eight of the top 100 in Baseball America, and guess what? To get a reliever, you don't have to trade Jordan Groshans and Austin Martin. You can get that without totally compromising the farm system. So they're in a good spot. They've got a ton of work to do, but I think it's going to be an interesting end to this season, interesting summer ahead for the Jays. Wanted your thoughts on Manoa and, and his two starts. Obviously, comes out and pitches the lights out. And tough act to follow in game number two. But something as a former athlete is that when things don't go well for you, you fall back on experiences. Alec Manoa doesn't have those because he hasn't played many pro innings. What do you think he you're, like? What do you expect out of Manoa going forward after the two games you've seen? Well, you know, like you say it's hard to know exactly what to expect. I think you're very right to point out that he's struggling kind of for the first time as a professional. And with that, he's got to make adjustments on the fly in ways that he hasn't done it before. And that's going to be challenging. It's not impossible. Obviously athletes find ways to learn from their struggles all the time. And he's surrounded by people who can help him do that, but it doesn't make it easy. Now we did see in his first start in the major leagues, a proof of concept that his stuff plays and that when he's on, when he's at his best, he can bring that composure and that mound presence along with a 97 mile an hour fastball and a change up. He's throwing for strikes and a slider that when it's on 
can be a very good breaking pitch. So he's got the ingredients to be a very good major league pitcher. And that's not easy to do. Those guys are not easy to find. And to have that in this rotation now is already an upgrade from where we thought Manoa would be. It's an upgrade from where the Blue Jays were at with respect to their rotation early in the season. But start to start, as a guy who's you know only got a total of five starts above Class A in his career, we can't know with a lot of certainty in the same way that we might for a guy like Rio. With Ben Nicholson-Smith on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. We were talking earlier about possible starting pitching acquisitions, and there are controllable arms out there, which is to say guys who are under team control beyond this season and maybe even next. Jose Barrios in Minnesota, Luis Castillo, who has struggled badly for Cincinnati this year, but is coming off a couple of really nice seasons and, and I would imagine is repairable. Then you've got the veteran soon-to-be free agents. In the middle tier, you've got our old buddy, Jay Happ of the Minnesota Twins. The top of the rung, you've got a future Hall of Famer, a World Series champion, multiple-time Cy Young Award winner and Max Scherzer of Washington. Let's just talk about Scherzer and what you think it would take if a team like the Blue Jays were to pursue him. What could you get for a pending free agent, given that in order to get something for him, if Washington's not going to re-sign him, they have to move him? It's a great question. I think, obviously, the first part of that is, yeah, the Nationals have to be open to, to doing that in the first place, which hopefully they are, because whether it's the Blue Jays or someone else, seeing Scherzer pitch for someone down the stretch and into October would be awesome. We know how fun Max Scherzer is to watch. So I really hope they do move him. Um, now, what it would take, like, I just, I don't think the Blue Jays would move a top prospect for Scherzer. Like, I, I don't think that you're going to move six years of Austin Martin or Jordan Groshans or Simeon Woods Richardson for for a guy that you're going to have to resign in two months. I don't see that being the way they would operate. But if you, I mean, let's say you were to combine Scherzer with, I don't know, Daniel Hudson, or maybe you need a lefty bench bat and it's Kyle Schwarber. And now you're talking about two pieces. And at that point, are you giving up two good, but not great prospects? Like, I, I don't think they're giving up one of their elite guys, but is it, or maybe it is at that point, if you're talking about, two players and both of them have some control. Like there are different scenarios here. And I don't know, Scotty, that's probably why I'm kind of dancing around this one. But I, I I think that Scherzer would be an incredible addition. And even below him, there's a tier of guys, whether it's Kyle Gibson, Yusei Kikuchi, who's nasty, by the way, Kikuchi is a guy they should be after Like so good up to 99, but there are guys who are not named Max Scherzer that they should be in on and pursuing. Well, yeah, and I, I also think, too, and this is an obvious comment, that you, you need to be honest with yourself. Like, are, are we the L.A. Dodgers yet? Are we the San Diego Padres yet? Or closer right. to home in our division, are we there with the Rays? Are we there with the Yankees? And does this move put us there? Because if you're going to make a move like that, you've got to believe you can come out not just of your division, but uh, out of your league, right? I mean, you're, you're not just yeah. there to make the playoffs at that point. Well, and, and I think that's how the Blue Jays should look at it generally. I mean, as much as we sit here and are well aware of the flaws of this team, every time that Tyler Chatwood walks four batters in a row or every time 
that they send Reese McGuire up to the plate with no one to pinch hit for him in a key situation. Like, we see the flaws, and people who watch this team every day see the flaws. But let's not lose sight of the fact that no team has won the 2021 World Series yet. It's up for grabs. They can get it. And I'm not saying that they're likely or they're favorites or anything, but that's their goal. That's what they write on the walls of their clubhouse. They need to be trying to make that goal happen. And it doesn't mean being reckless about it and giving up the farm for two months of Max Scherzer, but it does mean trying to address those upgrades and giving this core that, again, includes some of the best young players in baseball the chance to prove themselves over the course of the next few months and impress some people and surprise some people. Enjoyed it, pal. Thanks for getting up and doing this, and, uh, you know, we'll be calling on you next week. Yeah, look forward to it, guys, anytime. (laughs) Ben Nicholson-Smith is uh, the baseball editor for Sportsnet.ca, Blue Jays, and MLB Insider, and he's been brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Elliot Friedman at the top of the hour, and then from Edge of Sports, one of our favorite guests, Dave Zirin. The NFL is eliminating what is called race norming. We will explain what that is and delve deeper into it with Dave Zirin at 835. A little yay or nay on the other side. He will jump in and the three of us will uh, yay or nay some scenarios going forward. A little yay or nay. We throw some scenarios out there and we yay them if we think they're going to happen. We nay them if we don't think they're going to happen. Hugh is in for this one. Ziggy, I'll start with you. The Leafs management says it's sticking with the so-called core four. But by the time the playoffs begin next year, one of them, Matthews Marner, Tavares Nylander, one of them, at least, will be gone. Yay or nay? Big nay for me. (laughs) Nay. I, I don't I don't see how you move on from them. And I know I've talked last year in the playoffs. This is the last year, but what what is the alternative? Who do you move for what? I think you're dealt a certain hand with teams. I think you can go off the board and do crazy stuff, but then your job's on the line. And I just for for a guy like Kyle Dubas, I I like what he's built here. I think you have to stick with the big four for, for another shot. It was, it was a tough year, especially when you get up three, one, but I like what he's built here and I'm curious to see and interested on what moves he makes going forward. Yay. One of them will be gone. Uh, Yay! I, I don't know which one I have some ideas, but I, I think who do you of, want? Who do you want? Will, name names. I, I, I think, I think <laughs> they, they move. number 16. <laughs> I think they move. I think they move that guy. Yeah. Um, just, they need more out of them. They didn't get what they expected to get out of them. Um, and it, it's the, it's the easy move to make right now. Um, and it would free up a heck of a lot of space. So Yay. I'm going to try and approach this rationally as opposed to emotionally, which thank God we've had three or four sleeps since it all came to an end. I'm, you've heard my theory about one goes out and it leads ultimately to Dougie Hamilton and a couple of other moves, the so-called domino effect, but I am going to nay this one. And the reason I'm naying it is I think they get one more chance. And the reason they get one more chance is because they won 35 of 56 regular season games. They were consistently good in the regular season. And they probably, 
will be consistently good next year, or that should at least be the expectation. You get into the playoffs, and it will be harder next year, presuming Tampa Bay, Florida, Boston, and back in your division, but you get into the playoffs, that'll be the expectation, that will be it. And then at that point, with two years left on some of their contracts, they're going to have to revisit the whole situation if they can't get out of the first round. There are many free agents from this Leafs roster, uh, but if you could only bring one of them back, it's clear that Zach Hyman has to be the guy. Yay or nay, Ziggy? It's a yay. Yay! Um, What he provides for this team is not just the big goal, not the big hit, not the guy that goes in the corner and gets pucks. He's a Toronto guy. He's good in the room. He means a lot to the community. Guys like playing with him. He stands for what your organization wants to be. You you have to bring him back. Do I think they're going to be able to bring him back? I think he's gone. I think there's no way that they can make it happen when you're paying what they're paying to the top four. Like, I don't think they can go to five and a half million for, for Zach Hyman, which I think he'll get. I think he's at that number. So there are some people, there are some people though. I'm not saying Hyman's one of them who, if the team goes to him and says, Hey, look, we can give you four and a half a year. That's a mil less per year. But what if the Leafs said, this is all we can do. Would he be the type who, who might consider that? What's happening, and I'm surprised it hasn't happened more, or I'm sure it happens and no one talks about it, is that there's not some back deals going on with endorsements and stuff. Like, don't put it off. I'm pretty sure it happens <laughs> around the league where if you can't offer the player the money, you find some kind of endorsement deal. Some You say, oh, yeah, some company's going to call you in six months and they're going to Wendy sign Sokolov, you five- we need you. <laughs> we need you. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. I'm calling you, I've Sokolov. A- I've actually talked to Wendy. She's really nice. I, I'm sure she is. We need her right now. <laughs> we need her. We need her. I'm not sure Wendy pays Zach Hyman a million dollars to be her <laughs> spokesperson, but uh, maybe she can. Hugh, yay or nay? Oh, it's yay. It, it, if they if they don't bring him back, who's going to go get the puck out of the corner? No, Zach Hyman's the hardest working player on this team. They have to bring him back. And in terms in terms of your hometown discount that you were alluding to, Scott, somebody in this business a long time ago told me the only form of tangible respect that's worth anything is money. Get the money. Color is green. Get the money. It's easy to say, oh, you're doing a great job. Pat on the back. No, get the money. If I'm Zach Hyman, I go for the money. Because you don't know how long this lasts. Get the money. And I say yay to it too. Yeah. Um, so that's a three that's a three yay sweep. Last but not least, the Toronto Blue Jays will not be able to make the playoffs without George Springer. Yay or nay. I'll start. I'm going to nay that one. This Blue Jays team can make the playoffs without George Springer because it's performing at a level offensively that already suggests it can. What it can't make the playoffs without doing is acquiring some starting help and at least one arm for the bullpen. I would address the pitching. If Springer comes back, and we expect God knows that he will at some point, hands up in the air, 
it only enhances an already great offense. Pitching's what they need to address you. See, yeah, and and the question should have included if all things stay the same, because I agree with you. If they don't get pitching, they don't make the playoffs. You know what? Uh, I I totally agree with this. If, if So, yeah, I yay this because they, they're going to need George Springer and all that he can offer because it's a long, long season to go yet, and they're not in a playoff spot right now. As, go, as well as they're playing, they're not in playoffs. They need George Springer. I'm yaying this as well. They need Springer in the lineup. I know the bats haven't been an issue this year, but just having a guy like that in the locker room, having him at center field, I've seen what one player can do on a team, and you can't get enough bats in your lineup. That's the way I'm approaching it. The Jays need him. Once he's back in and healthy, watch out. Elliot Friedman coming up in just a moment. But here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff sports and at 590, the fan. Uh, we got a couple of overtime games last night in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Brad Marchand, his fifth of the postseason, two to one. Boston beats the Islanders in overtime. Bruins with a two games to one series lead. They retake home ice advantage. Carolina needed a win in Tampa Bay, and they got it on Jordan Stahl's fifth of the playoffs. Three two, a power play goal in overtime over Tampa Bay. The Bolts still have home ice, still lead that series two games to one. The Denver Nuggets advance with a 126-115 victory over Portland in the NBA playoffs. That's a six-game series win for the Nuggets. How good would they be if they had Jamal Murray healthy? And LeBron James had never lost in 14 previous first-round playoff appearances. It's over now. Phoenix, 113. The Lakers, 100. Suns take that series four games to two. The Blue Jays didn't play yesterday. The Yankees did, and they lost to Tampa Bay. At home, so Toronto opens up a three-game series tonight. Hyunjin Ryu against Houston. Zach Greinke, that is in Buffalo. The Blue Jays enter action five games back at Tampa Bay for first place in the AL East and one game back of the second wildcard spot in the American League currently held by Cleveland. Yay! <laughs> Love it. There we go. So we got a yay. Give us the yay. Yay. And we got a nay. <laughs> nay. All right. We're good. Yep. <laughs> Just getting all our sounds in order there. Zach Bonestein, good sport. Uh, here he is from Hockey Night in Canada, the NHL on Sportsnet. 31 Thoughts, the blog column, which you can read each week on sportsnet.ca, and the podcast, which he co-hosts with our buddy Jeff Merrick. Elliot Friedman is uh, with us. Happy Friday, sir. What's up? <sighs> Is it a happy Friday for you, really? Dude, I've had four sleeps. I've had four sleeps. Okay, if you count man. if you count my afternoon naps, I've had seven sleeps. Seven sleeps since it all happened. I I'm a little more rational now than I I was Monday night. But I'm also um I'm also worried about where this is all headed and here's why, Elliot. Unlike Ken Holland in Edmonton, who can say, well, we've got more than half a decade to figure this thing out with Connor McDavid. He's got six years left on his contract. The Maple Leafs, while they're still a young team, have Austin Matthews and William Nylander three years away from unrestricted free agency. Mitch Marner and John Tavares now four years away from unrestricted free agency. Whatever it is they need to figure out, they need to figure it out relatively soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, but I, you know, I, you, but you understand I, what I, I agree like, with. Like yes, this I whole do. notion yes, that they're young and they got to they got this is the next experience on the path, and you know, no team won it right away. Like, okay, but this experiment, this Shanna plan, it, its potential expiry is no later than three years away. Yes, I uh, I do agree with you on that. Actually, that's the one. While I'm a person who believes in betting on talent, and you should bet on your talent to hopefully figure it out, I do agree that is unique to this case. Is that there's, you know, when when Crosby and Malkin came back to win in Pittsburgh twice, they were under long term deals. Washington Ovechkin was a 13 year, Backstrom was a 10, and Tampa all of them uh, the big guys were signed for max term with the exception of point who's still in his bridge deal and has no desire to go anywhere else anyway. So it's, it is the, the situation in Toronto was a little bit different than the other ones that, you know, some of us, including myself have compared them to. So I, I understand your concern in this particular situation. And by the way, Scotty, before I forget, I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, I watched your piece on Tim and Sid, or not, it's not Sid anymore, I keep forgetting, Tim and Friends this week, and, you know, I just wanted to say I thought it was really inspiring. Thank you, pal. I appreciate that a lot. It uh, means a lot coming from you. Um, so let's get back to the depressing stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's get back to the reality of the situation. Yes. Yeah. What where do you rank this this game seven loss or the series against the Canadians as a whole compared to other years? And the reason I'm asking is, does this take a little bit of the shine off the Leafs when they have to go out and get unrestricted free agents? Because I think part of the reason when you sign the big four to what you sign them for is you want other players to come here and play, right? I feel like that's every GM's goal: sign the best players. Everybody will want to come for discounts and you fill in the pieces around it. How, uh, how do you see this past year's playoffs compared to others? Well, basically, Mike, you're asking me to rank people's pain. So let's see how I can do this. Um, you, you know, I mean, I so on Tuesday morning, I walk out of my house. I'm going to my car. I'm a couple minutes, a couple minutes ahead of my son who I'm about to take to school. And one of my neighbors walks by and he's wearing his Leaf t-shirt. And I said, that is a bold, inspired choice for this morning. And he looked at me and he laughed and he said, what am I going to do? I'm hooked. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, I thought it was really interesting how Brendan Shanahan opened his Zoom call by apologizing to the fans and um you know, trying to tell, because I think everybody understands in the organization, the players, the people who work there, that this was set up to be a special year in the sense that the way the team had played, it had played well, it had earned first place in the North Division, and you didn't have to deal with Tampa Bay and Boston. This was their chance. And you know, it, it obviously didn't work. And, and everybody, I don't think just the fans feel that pain. I think the players and the people who work for MLSE feel that pain because they felt the exact same way. But when it comes to what you're talking about there, Mike, I don't think there's 
a problem. I don't think that this is going to prevent people from wanting to play in Toronto if they want to come. I don't think this is going to cost the Maple Leafs an ability to recruit people or get people. Um, you know, teams lose, unfortunately, and these things happen. Um, but I still generally think that the Maple Leafs try to do their best to create an organization where people can be successful. They are still uh, good young players, and I think they will attract people that want to play for them. Um, you know, their biggest impediment to getting players to come here is going to be that they won't have as much money as some other teams will have to get players to come here. I, I heard you talking about Hyman before the quick news break there, for example. Um, if they can't get players to come here, it's going to. It's not going to be because of this year. It's going to be because the players are going to look at the situation and want maybe more money than the Maple Leafs can offer. I, I don't think that's a problem, Mike. With Elliot Friedman on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. What's a fair description of the relationship right now between the organization and Mitch Marner? Because <laughs> sitting on the outside, Elliot, it's... You know, the, you can get caught up in all the BS on social media, the nastiness thrown Mitch way, Mitch's way, and just assume that that's how it is everywhere. There are different reports about this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. What? What's like? I don't care if he went golfing. I, I said to Ziggy the other day, I would have cared more if he went golfing if it was the off day between a Montreal victory and Game One against Winnipeg. I'd I'd rather him be resting up for the next game. You were eliminated. Like, if you want to go golfing, go golfing. I don't. I, I don't care about that. Um, mm -hmm. The power play stuff has been muttered about for a little while now, and and it came out as a report. Um, but is that isolated? Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of players say things um, or express their opinions. What is the nature of the relationship today between employer and employee, Maple Leafs, Marner? Well, look, if any relationships are strained, Scott, it's because everybody's emotional right now. Like, I, I still believe that the organization thinks very highly of Mitch Marner, recognizes his talent, understands that he wants to win and win here. I, I think if there's an issue, it's that everybody's just frustrated they lost. And, you know, the fact that he couldn't get going is a major reason that they lost. It's not like it's his fault um but you know i mean i i think they're going to look at it as how can we make him better how can we help that this doesn't happen again i do think the power play thing that story you're referring to uh, you know i said this on the podcast that we taped for today if i was in charge of the maple leafs i would be looking internally and saying did this come from us like where did this come from because i do think that it's and the way marner reacted to it it's clear he's unhappy that about the timing of it and the fact that that is being said about him like all i can ever do is compare my compare how i would react to any situation and i know in my case if i was mitch marner and we just lost that series and I know I didn't play very well and I was visibly struggling. And then as we lose, that gets dropped on my head. 
I would be furious, true or not. And Marner's denying it. And, um, you know, I, I would just know that if that came out the day after we lost, I would be looking at it like, seriously, like this gets out at this time to make me look bad at a time we're down. You'd be wondering, okay, what exactly is going on here? Now, that doesn't mean I think it's, you know, lasting. You can sort these things out if you want to. But I do think he was obviously hurt. Like, people were upset about the tone of Marner's exit interview. I just think that I, I don't worry about that. I, I like, like, talk is cheap, Scotty and Mike. I think that you look at how he recovers, how he prepares. Is he ready to go next summer? Is he willing to do things that we're about to talk to with uh, talk with him about? That's the stuff that really matters. I think the reason he had the comments he did was not because he didn't care. Was be it's because he feels that he's under siege and defiantly lashed out against that. And you know, to be honest, if I was in his shoes and that that report dropped on me the day after we lost. I'd be pissed off too. Like I, I get it. So I think it's all fixable. I don't think it's irreparable. I think they will tell him, Hey, stop worrying about what other people say. Stop worrying about what other people think. Maybe, you know, don't worry about uh, side deals or endorsements or anything else that you're doing. Just focus on the game and let's work on your mentality together. And I think that's what they're going to do. I just don't think you can trade them, guys. I think the whole thing is, unless you can show me a deal where you're actually going to win for trading a 24-year-old as one of the top scorers in the league and clearly cares about winning here, I, I just don't understand how you're going to win that no, you trade. Can't, you can't win a trade for uh, sending Mitch Marner out of town straight up. It, it would ha There would have to be like two domino effects that follow, and you can never yeah, promise. that's you can, fair. Those can never be promised, right? Right, like you, you can have Plan A, but that also requires Plan B and Plan C to happen. Mm -hmm. But Plan B and Plan C aren't necessarily going to work out if you need a, another team to trade with, or if you want to bring a Dougie Hamilton or somebody in. Well, he's a UFA; he gets to choose too, right? Yeah, so. I, I think you said something though that's very interesting there, Scotty, and, and something that I do think is going to be part of their off-season plan is I, I believe that they're going to go out there and target players that they think can help them and can and can get them over the hump. And I think what they're going to do is they're going to say, this is who we need, whether it's a goalie or a defenseman or a forward with a different skill set than they already have. They're going to say, this is who we need, this is who we want, and this is how we're going to work backwards to get that player. And so I do think that there could be moves with a B and C as part of it, but... They're, I bet you they're going to have B and C finalized before they do A. That's the way I think they're going to attack the offseason. Which players do you think that are, are either UFAs, um, you know, do you think will come back next year, the Leafs will, will have back? Spezza. Okay. I think he's coming back. I think there's a, a decent chance of Bogosian. I believe they've already started talking to him. And I think they were pro from, you know, I, I think they were talking to him during the season. So I, I think there's something there. There will be a legitimate attempt to bring him back. Um, 
after that off the top of my head, you know, uh, you know, I'm sure there will be a conversation with Simmons. Um, I, I just don't know about Thornton. I, 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 I know, I, I think that, I think Dubas has a real attachment and a fondness for Thornton. And Thornton, I think, has a real fondness for the city and playing. Um, but I just don't know if it's going to be able to work. Um, am I missing anyone? Anderson, no, I don't think he'll be back. I think he'll be going elsewhere. And I think, you know, that's that's the most likely. I think the team will be wanting to look for some a different mix potentially in goal. Am I missing anyone? And they'll be in the game for Hyman, but that'll be oh, a Hyman, significant yeah. challenge, yeah. right? Significant See, challenge. You know, I, I I wanted to give Chris Johnson credit. Like, um, you know, he I was talking with him yesterday, and you know, one of the things that was notable about the exit interview with Hyman is in the past, whenever he's been asked about his future, he has really gone into a passionate defense about how much he loves Toronto and how much he wants to play here. And I believe that's all true. And I still believe that's true, but he didn't do it as much in this particular case. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we were wondering, and, you know, I went back and I listened to it and, you know, again, I'm very careful to jump to conclusions. Again, it could be the emotions of the moment. Um, but, um, you know, maybe the realization is set in that, you know, this is going to be a real challenge to do. Um, you know, again, I heard you guys talking. I think they want to bring him back. I think he wants to come back. I think they know they're going to be outbid. I think he knows they're going to be outbid. There's always a question about how much you're, you know, as a player, how much you're willing to leave on the table. Um, the other, but, you know, the other thing here too is that if they really do want to change their mix and there's somebody out like they have time here, but let's just say they decide there's, a, there's another defenseman or goalie or forward that they really think they need to have. If that person is someone who comes with a cost financially, you're going to have to make your change somewhere. And in, in a lot of ways, like I heard what you said there, um, it's, it seems counterintuitive. Um, Number one, he does a lot of things this team really needs. Number two, there's no guarantee that anyone you go out and get will care as much about the Maple Leafs as Zach Hyman does. Like, that is a guy who, like, truly cares and wants to be a Maple Leaf. Um, so I think it's a risk. But the one thing I kind of look at is if you do want to change your mix from a pure player-in, player-out perspective, it's the easiest move to make because he's not under contract. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what's going to happen here. With Elliot Friedman on leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan and something to chew on is brought to you by great Canadian meat. So Mark Shifley <laughs> gets four games for yep. the hit, hit on Jake Evans. Now yep. this is the second consecutive consequential decision. George Peros has made that has made me go, Hmm. Wow. Kadri mm -hmm. eight games on Falk, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. now Shifley four games on Evans. And I just want to be clear, I'm pro both decisions. What mm -hmm. I'm wondering, as a natural-born cynic, Elliot, mm -hmm. is, is this suddenly a new trend that is going to carry over into next year in terms of disciplinary action because it represents 
a legitimate effort to get this stuff out of the game? Mm -hmm. Or is this a reaction to the crap the league took for its relative inaction on Tom Wilson and the New York Rangers situation? Um, I don't know if I would say it's that simple. Um, like, look, like in the Cadre's case, I, I don't know how anybody could have been surprised. He, it's, it's the third time in four years he's been suspended in the playoffs, right? And when but there that was happened, the 18-month gap, though, that, that eliminates... You know what? I, no, that's not true. Okay. I, I, like, the NHL has to change the wording on this. Um, you know, like they... And because and, I thought it was understood, but clearly it's not. Um, the, that, that is on, the repeat offender thing is only for how much your fine is. The way the CBA is written, your history can always be considered if they decide to suspend you. That 18-month thing is only for the size of the fine. And I thought that was understood. I, I can't believe how misunderstood it is. Um, so I, I believe the league should change the wording of that. But history is always a factor when it comes to punishment. And I just don't see how anybody could have been surprised that that's where they went to with Kadri. Um, when it comes to Shifley, I will tell you, I was very surprised. Not that he was suspended, but that he got four games. I think it is a very stiff penalty. And I will tell you that the amount, like, like I tried to speak to a lot of people yesterday in the aftermath, get their opinions. I was shocked by um, the, the people, like, I was shocked by the passion for the people who felt certain positions. I had, there were, there were three different kinds of people. Number one, the people who said suspension, hammer them, can't have that, goodbye. Number two, the people who said, well, I played a while ago and 10 to 15 years ago, that play was okay. Right now, because of the speed of the game, can't have that anymore because we understand about concussions. We you can't have that anymore. They have to do something to show that that play, which used to be acceptable, no longer is. And the third group was, he's trying to prevent a goal and Jake Evans should have kept his head up. And I know that answer makes a lot of people very angry. I'm just saying that there is a group of people who felt that way and nothing I was going to say to them was going to change their minds. Um, I thought they, you know, I just thought, and, and I understand Shifley was told in the hearing, why didn't you try to more to play the puck? And I think if he try, if he reaches more for the puck, we're looking at a different outcome in terms of, the injury, and if he's out of the lineup, suspended. I think that was the determining factor here. I was expecting him to get suspended. I was surprised it was four games, considering he had no history. But there's no question you're right, Scott. They sent a big message on that one well, Elliot, because what it's if, a big suspension. What if the hit prevents the goal but ends up with the same result? Again, again, I think that they just they felt that he didn't try to play the puck. That was the differing. That that's the big thing here. I because they said it in the video, and I understand they said it to him in the hearing. It was clear that the Department of Player Safety felt if he tries to play the puck or makes more of an effort to play the puck, 
the outcome is different here, at least in terms of the suspension. I don't know if it's different in terms of the collision, but it's definitely different in terms of the suspension. Yeah, and I was t I've been ex trying to talk about it for a couple of days now. I'm I'm like I don't know what part of the rule book it says where that hit is illegal. That's where charging have... charging forty two one. It's it's like the people what, what's were he talking supposed about. To do? Yeah, I, I just I don't understand. He's he's running, he's chasing a player down the ice with an empty net. I just I I understand if it's a guy coming across the ice who's going one on one with a player and a guy takes mm -hmm. four or five strides or finishes in the corner when a, a player is not in a play, but it's an isolated player who's getting chased down the ice. I just, I didn't like the hit and I want them taken out, but I don't know what else he's supposed to do. That's where I stand. Basically, you know, and Mike, I understand that because you're not the only person who's told me that. Um, I think what they felt was that he, he could have tried to reach to play the puck. Never mind. I think I know what they felt was if he tries to reach and play the puck, he doesn't get four games. That's the difference here. Now, yeah. and you know, people were arguing he didn't leave his feet. He, people were arguing was their head to, was the initial contact to the head, because they ruled this a charge. That stuff is not the key point here. The point is, does he break the charging rule? And if you read the rule book, and for anyone who's interested, it's forty-two point one. He did. And, you know, the other thing, but the other thing I got a lot of Mike and Scotty was, and a lot of people who coach or have kids who play who say, I feel that Shifley needed a penalty because we can't have this in our game. But I also feel that if I show, I'm going to show this to my players or my kids and say that, you know, for a teaching moment, if you're Jake Evans and you come around the net like that, you have to have your head up. They felt that Shifley deserved a penalty, but you also have to teach players that in the playoffs, in the regular season, this was another thing I thought was interesting, you can get away with that because that Mark Shifley isn't doing that in the regular season. In the playoffs, you have to be much more aware because the mentality changes. So yeah. they were. They said they were not blaming Jake Evans, but we're saying as an offensive player in that situation, you do have to watch that and see this can happen if your head isn't up. We'll leave it there, Elliot. Thanks for this, pal. Really appreciate the insight. Have a great weekend. Uh, we'll be watching the Stanley Cup playoffs and Hockey Night in Canada, and we'll talk to you next Friday. All right, guys. Have a great weekend. But Elliot Friedman, Hockey Night in Canada, the NHL on Sportsnet, 31 Thoughts, the column each week on sportsnet.ca and the podcast, which he co-hosts with Jeff Merrick. A new episode dropping today. The NFL is promising to stop the use of, quote, race norming. Uh, this one, I got to admit, it's not something I was familiar with. I don't know if you were familiar with it, Ziggy. Never heard. Yeah, never. This, is, this week was the first time. What is race norming? It'll bother you. And why does it need to stop? And what does it mean for the National Football League going forward? From Edge of Sports, our friend Dave Zirin is with us next.
So the National Football League has a $1 billion settlement, a series of brain injury claims. And, of course, we know that this has been in the courts for for many, many years. And, And what has come out of this $1 billion settlement is a promise to stop the use of something called race norming. And when I say something called race norming, I say something because I had no idea what this was when I first read about it. I had no idea that this was an actual thing. I'm appalled that it's a thing. I think Ziggy feels the same way. Mm-hmm. What is race norming? To answer that question and to delve deeper into it, our friend from Edge of Sports and the sports editor of The Nation, Dave Zirin, is with us. Dave, good morning. Um, let's let's start with the, the brass tacks. What is race norming? Uh, race norming is grading these cognitive tests that players or former players are given um, as a way to determine their level of dementia or mental impairment. So say you need to score above a 50 to, uh, to be able to get uh, part of the NFL's concussion settlement and you score a 40, they'll say, well, you're black. Therefore, that 40 becomes a 60 because we have to account for the fact that you're black and therefore score lower on these cognitive tests in the first place. I mean, it's racist as hell. It's uh, something that has proven to be very prejudicial against former players, although the NFL swears it hasn't actually prevented anybody from getting their money from the settlement. Players say otherwise. I mean, so this is something that has been existing for, for years in terms since the settlement really came un- under play. And now it's finally seeing the light of day because of these lawsuits, but also because several of the doctors who were uh, administering the race norming as part of the test they sent each other emails that became public where they were saying to each other, wow, what is this, the, 19, the, the 1800s? This feels racist as hell. What are we doing here? Well, yeah, the 1800s, I don't think we have to go back that far. We can go back to the 1980s and Doug Williams, the, the Washington quarterback. And Warren Moon came and played in Canada because no yeah. NFL team would draft him as a black quarterback. You know, and then he went down and had a brilliant career with the Houston Oilers and uh, Seattle Seahawks after that, but I, I just, I, I have to it's say, stunning. Dave, th- it's, it's stunning. stunning. It I don't even know what to spell. say. Yeah. Well, it, it's a terrible look for the, that's one of the things we can talk about is that it's such an awful look for the national football league. Cause this is a league where already uh, it's players. And when I say it's players, I mean, specifically and more centeredly, it's black players, which make up 70% of the league. You know, look at this league askance. You know, look at this league with a bit of a, of a side eye because of Colin Kaepernick not being able to find work because of, you know, the National Football League ownership and they're not hiring black coaches, not hiring black front office personnel. Um, you know, I did a book with former NFL player Michael Bennett, and one of the things he said to me, and I'll never forget this, is, uh, you know, the biggest myth is that the NFL is integrated. It's not integrated. It's segregated between those who play and those who get paid to administer the playing. So it's still a very segregated operation. Of course, there are no black owners in the National Football League. So already there is a culture in the league where black players look at Roger Goodell and they look at white ownership and they look at white executives and they think, yeah, this league is not for us. The NFL stands for, and this is in the words of Michael Bennett's brother, Martellus, he likes likes to say the NFL stands for 
N-word for lease, not National Football League. So there's already this perception of racism in the league, and then you throw race norming on top of this, and that's why it's got the level of, of anger and heat behind it that, that, that led to us having this discussion today. And Roger Goodell was asked about this during the Super Bowl, right? And he yeah. was open in saying that, yeah, I, we don't believe in this. We don't want this. But then was also quick to say the federal court is overseeing the operation and implementation of that settlement. Why is that? Like, can you explain that more in depth on what he's trying to do? Because, sure. yeah, it's great that he's coming out in the open and saying, oh, yeah, this is wrong. But at the same time, he's like, oh, no, it's in the court's hands. He's saying it's wrong. He said it was wrong then because it was exposed. Uh, this mm. was something that was part of the practice of the doctors, the consortium of doctors that were put forward by the National Football League. These are the NFL's doctors that are administering these studies. You know, there were several cases. This is why the lawsuit even happened, is that there were several cases of black former NFL players getting tested. And imagine this for a second. People should really imagine this, being told that they suffer from things like early-onset dementia. I mean, what, what a horrific thing that must be for an individual and their family. And then they go to the league and say, hey, we want part of this settlement payout. We're, we're going to suffer now for the rest of our lives. Our families are going to suffer as a result of this game. And then being told in response to that, well, actually, you're not suffering from it because on our test score, you're scoring higher than you did with your private doctor. And the reason why we've determined that is because you're black and we're grading on a curve. So that's that's the root of it. And Roger Goodell came out against it for one simple reason. He came out against it because it was exposed by ABC News. And it wasn't Roger Goodell. It was the judge, Anita Brody, who found out about this and was frankly as appalled as, as we are having this discussion. And she, she took the very unusual step um, while overseeing the, the lawsuit by the former players saying that there was racial prejudice here. She took the unusual step of saying, we need mediation immediately to eliminate this from how the concussion settlement is being doled out. And that's why we've gotten to this point today was because Anita Brody's outrage and shock, not because Roger Goodell was doing anybody any sort of justice favor. What is wrong with us? Like it's it's it, it, no no it's such a blanket broad question, but and I and I don't ask it facetiously. Like what the hell no. is wrong with us? Well, I can tell you something. Um, the, the, the the total irony of this story, and I, I did it. I did a deep dive on this several months ago. It, it, my, my story about it didn't get a a great deal of attention. Um, but now, now this is getting a lot. So I'm going back to that story and rereading what I, my research is that this practice of race norming actually started in the 1970s as a way to challenge racial biases and standardized testing. So it was a way of saying, wow, these tests are racially biased. So we need to figure out a way to make sure it looks like an honest test between white students and black students. It was a Department of Education policy, and it was adopted by Jimmy Carter and then Ronald Reagan. So left-wing, right-wing presidents, they were all like, yeah, these tests are so racist, we need to put this in. And they got out of, of standardized testing because of outrage from right-wingers in this country. They were like, this is an outrage. This is prejudicial against white people to have race norming. And so it was eliminated from the Department of Education. But then it was adopted in the neuropsychological community as a way to perform these tests in a way that's incredibly prejudicial 
against black people. And that's not, and you say, what's wrong with us? You see that actually happen a lot, whether we're talking about issues like affirmative action, whether we're talking about issues like hate crime legislation, is that they're often put in with the best possible motivations because people who want to fight injustice and they end up getting used against the very people that they are meant to help. Where's the NFLPA and all this? Because that's the one I haven't seen them mm. talk about it. They haven't made a statement, nothing. No, um, they, they've been sta- they, they're generally out of the concussion lawsuit. And uh, the, the players are being represented by an, an individual attorney named Chris Seeger. So they, they've I don't know if it, that's a legal question in terms of their silence on this. But no, they, they have been a silent voice in this. If I was the NFLPA, I would be raising all kinds of holy hell about this and be ta- And I would also be making it a political campaign and saying the same league that does race norming doesn't hire black coaches. The same league that does race norming doesn't hire black executives, don't provide opportunities for black ownership. And it's part of a piece in terms of the old boy network that runs the National Football League. So, no, they're not being nearly loudly enough or loud at all. But to me, this would be an opportunity by the NFLPA to actually fight for racial equity in a league that does not practice it. Yeah, and then, and then just stamp end racism into the uh, back of your end zone and call it a day, <laughs> right? Like, Which won't be there next year. That, that They've already announced that's going to be mothballed for the coming right, season. Right, exactly. I'm Anyway, Dave Zirin of Edge of Sports is with us. This is leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan. If you were a betting man... And I don't know if you are or not, but if you were a betting man, would you bet on the Tokyo Olympics happening this summer? You know, I've been I've been beating this drum for months. I was in Tokyo in 2019, obviously before the pandemic, checking out the Olympic scene. And I had doubts then about the Olympics coming off without a hitch. So, and I've been saying, and I've been derided for saying this. I've been derided for saying this on the wonderful CBC. Um, but I think that if I was a betting person and being given good odds, you know what I'm saying? Like not one-to-one odds, but some good odds, I would say, nope, no Olympics. You give me three-to-one odds, you give me four-to-one odds, my money's going on the Olympics being postponed. What are your thoughts on Naomi Osaka um, not deciding to do media availability, getting fined, and then not playing? Are I know this is a bigger issue than just um, a star not wanting to answer questions. There's mental health brought into it. Um, How deep does this actually go, though? Because I feel like there's a lot more to this than just those things. Yeah, yeah. And this obviously has dominated my week in terms of thinking about this. I think it's not, I think this is the tennis equivalent of what we just described in terms of the NFL taking the end racism signs in the end zone and putting them in the, in the mothball closets. I think over the last year, the leagues allowed players, like Naomi Osaka being one of them, to speak out around issues of social justice because what were these players doing? They were playing the sport during a deadly pandemic and basically keeping the lights on for all these pro sports franchises. And so the, so the leagues themselves said, okay, you can use the platform, you can say what you want, you can do what you want, uh, and, 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 you know, and, and we'll, we'll abide it. But now that people are getting vaccinated, now that people are going back in the stadiums, there is an effort to reassert control over these athletes. And I think that's why I think we can connect uh, the, the, the tennis associations and the French Open and actually all the Grand Slams 
trying to assert and discipline Naomi Osaka, the most outspoken of all the players on, on the tour, you, I think you can equate that with the, the, the idiot who threw the bottle at Kyrie Irving. Um, you know, there's this effort to reassert hierarchy and reassert control after a year where the world was turned on its head. And I think that's the best framework for understanding what's going on. With Dave Zirin, I'm interested in your thoughts on the future of the relationship between media and professional sports franchises or mm. professional sports athletes. And the confluence here becomes more difficult. Um, in a lot of cases, or in some cases, I should say, not necessarily in a lot of cases, the same companies that own the teams own the media. Um, so there's mm -hmm. a whole question about journalistic independence. There is also this ability now of the athlete to prolifer prol proliferate their own message on their own social media mm -hmm. platforms. There is this generalized distrust of traditional media arms by a lot of people who ingest it. And my response to that would be, well, okay, but if, if you're going to so-and-so's Instagram page, you're going to get their message, right? You're, you're not going to exactly. get some sort of unvarnished truth. You're going to get prepackaged messaging. So if you're distrustful of traditional media, you should probably be distrustful as well of the packaged messaging that comes out on any individual mm -hmm. social media account. I'm just wondering where you see all of this going, Dave, over the next 5, 10, 20 years? Well, no, nowhere good for people who do what I do for a living. I, I, I put on Twitter, I said, I, 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 this is a small space that, that I personally am in right now, but I want more media access. I want more objective reporting. I want less league reporting, less packaged reporting, all the things you describe. I also don't want organizations like the French Open to use somebody's mental health issues as a way to try to silence them um, because of their outspokenness over the previous year. So we're, we're in a very difficult time that, that's in a, a lot of flux, and that makes it difficult to figure out like what the, what the correct position is um, in terms of pushing forward um, issues that, that I think we all want, which is great, greater equity and openness in sports. I think that the best thing going for, um, you know, there have always been these deep connections between media and the pro sports leagues. I mean, that's as old as sports itself. I think the, the, the best thing that, that we can do is people who believe in an independent media to keep fighting, keep banging, and not settle for, uh, for, for the prepackaged websites, not settle for athletes becoming content creators and putting out their own content about what they've been through, um, but also um, listening to the athletes and understanding that if someone is saying they suffer from social anxiety and depression, and you know there's this history of seeing them on camera, looking like they're, they're just in a state of devastation and having to go through this process, trying to figure out a way to work with athletes like that so we're not denigrating issues of mental health. Are you ready for LeBron James to take over the mantle from Tom Brady as the is this guy done yet question now that he's been eliminated in the first round? Like I feel like Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl at 43, 44 years old. Like, he's going to fade into the sunset at some point, just not yet. Now now LeBron in his late 30s, out in the first round for the first time ever. We're going to have to deal with another five years of, well, is this it for LeBron, yeah. right? You know it's headed that way. Yeah. Look, you know, the classic uh, movie cocktail with Tom Cruise as the line, everything ends badly, otherwise it wouldn't end. 
Um, you know, I, I live in Washington, D.C. That means I saw Michael Jordan in a blue Wizards uniform uh, becoming Floor Jordan. So I guess unless your name is John Elway walking out on the back of two straight Super Bowls, it doesn't end well for anybody. People, you know, and actually, you know, the great athletes want to be carried out on their shield. You know, they want to be shown that it's time to end because someone else shows them, not because they tell themselves it's time to end. So in, in an odd way, I'm looking forward to LeBron pushing forward, um, you know, and, and proving these haters wrong and having one last chapter in his career where he actually gets some decent pieces, gets, I think, a, well, I'm being very frank, a better coach, pardon my, pardon my pun, um, and, and I'd like to see um, one last chapter in the story that is LeBron James. He, he's far from done. Thank you for doing this, Dave, and thank you for uh, teaching us. Um, really important conversation sure. this morning. We'll, uh, we'll have you on again very no, soon. Thank you. Dave Zirin. Look forward to it. Thank of you. The, uh, the Nation, where he's the sports editor, and of the Edge of Sports podcast. Let's hope nothing eventful happens in Leafland between now and no. Sunday evening. <laughs> <laughs> They're not it. playing anymore, but <laughs> yeah. never know. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, we're back at six o'clock on Monday morning. It's going to be a hot weekend. Good show is next. Enjoy it. Yay.